just want to, hey. Everyone, Dave and Jeff doing a podcast on a Sunday night, and one of these podcasts we've been waiting a long time to do. Really excited this to great. do this one. Uh, in the garage, finally. I think Dave, a guy that we said almost once we started doing these on a regular basis, a guy that we wanted here uh, to hang out and have some fun with is our friend Scott Kaplan. Cap, welcome to the garage. How are you, brother? I'm very good. I'm very good. It's a long, I, you know, you, you don't realize how big San Diego is. Right. Until you come all the way down here. And I, I, I was, what part of Mexico am I in? Right <laughs> you now? are. Sons of bitches, man. You, you are Darren in Smith. Monterey, Mexico. Darren Smith, what is he bitching about? He went. He went from North Park. Right. No big deal. I swear to God, I pulled over um, and I shot a video. I put it on Twitter. I, oh, my I, God. I tagged both of you guys. I know I just saw a UFO in your neighborhood. No, it, well, the thing is, I can't say you're wrong. I saw the video that you took, so maybe there was one, but I've never seen a UFO. But honestly, I was in-house eating meatloaf and garlic bread. I didn't see shit. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's the cleanest UFO video that I've ever seen. Yeah, right. I, I expect that this video will go viral. Yeah, and we'll and never that, see again. And that like NASA will be contacting me, and like <laughs> you, you'll see it on CNN tonight, and it'll have my name, you know, at Scott Kaplan. You know? <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll pick least, up some followers. There'll be a million things to talk about, but this is going to be the perfect one. Scott has a new company that Dave and I are thrilled about. It's called Sighted, and Dave, I'm going to ask you right now. Yeah, Sighted, was it a UFO sighting? Or not. And before we even give our answers, Cap, this is what we're going to do. Dave and I are thrilled to be here because we're joining your sighted family. This would be the perfect setup tonight, right? We've seen the video. Dave and I will tell each other what we feel about yes, it is, no, it's not, and then what happens. And then what does happen? Yeah, this, so I'm so glad you guys are going to do this. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the thing. Um, I know people have kind of been a little bit on me on Twitter and I, I, maybe I should just calm down a little bit, but when you're so in the, 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 the heat of being in business mm -hmm. and you've got investors and you're trying to prove your point and you're trying to then position yourself to raise more money. I've never done this before. I've never been in this position before. You know, I, I never even thought about being in this position, but I don't know, about 10 years ago or so we started getting in me and my buddy Craig started getting into the horse racing thing. And by doing that, we learned how to raise money. I mean, you're trying to get $20,000 from somebody to throw away yeah. on horse racing. And so we kind of got felt like we're getting good at this. And then it was, why don't we actually try and build a business? And then it was finding the right business. And anyway, to make a long story short, where I'm at right now is I'm trying to make a point and trying to prove a point that, that guys like yourselves, whether you have a podcast or you have a radio show or, or you have a social media following, you can move an audience to a new platform where I believe you, because you have an audience, can monetize that. Mm -hmm. And not to sound greedy, because it's not about just the guy who, who brought the audience. It's the, it's the user himself who, how much, aren't we on Twitter and Facebook yes. and Instagram all day long? All day long. All day. I mean, I'm liking stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm retweeting stuff. I'm commenting on stuff. I'm debating with somebody. I mean, all freaking day long. I'm just, I'm making things happen on Twitter. And as a user... I never get anything for my time, mm -hmm. just where all my friends are. Yeah. And as somebody who's in a, the business of promotion and promoting your brand, I use their platform to perpetuate my brand, to communicate with people who maybe follow me. 
And so it works really well for both parties. It works good for the user and it works good for the, the person trying to communicate something. But they are able to sell advertising and they're able to make money. And we all create engagement for them. And so I'm just thinking that, as you know, as you guys can appreciate, the radio business is... Sure. I mean, it's... Tough. It's a different world, It man. is. It's scary. It is a different world. To, to figure out the way things are going. i tell you why I, I like your idea, and this is before you even spoke to us about it about five weeks ago, is you saw people who just want to be heard. They just want to be in, and it would be, you know, you like the Laker uniforms, retweet for yes, you know, favorite for no, and then that was just the way of, of being heard, but your way actually gives people a chance to really be heard and see what their opinions are, to see what direction they're going. Jeff and I have always said mm -hmm. in, in radio that it's ridiculous to get an idea of what your audience really is. You can't always told, be told what it is because the ratings are this or you have this amount of unique shots on, on online and then you sit and you don't know. But then the, what's the one thing PDs always tell you? Don't pay attention to the callers because they aren't shit. They don't mean anything. And now you're going, well, what does, what is anything? What is my exact calculation of who's paying attention to what I'm doing? So, okay. So this is exactly where this all came from is that we're in the radio business and the ratings game is, is just, it's a brutal game to play. And I'm going to give you guys a great example of something that happened to me tonight. Before I came over here, I needed to kill a little bit of time. So around the corner here, there's a shopping center. There's an In-N-Out burger, right? Yeah. And um, next door to it, there's a little sushi place. And I actually just sat there for like 20 minutes sitting at their sushi bar. I had one roll of sushi. And it was great. And, and in, the, in the restaurant, they had a radio station on. And I could hear the, the radio station. There was Drake was playing music. And then they went to a break. Hey, and I, I could hear they were saying the name of the station, but I couldn't pick it up. And I asked them, I said, hey, what radio station are you guys, do you have it on? And they told me 93.3. Hmm. And I said, now think about that. If somebody were sitting here in this restaurant tonight with a meter mm -hmm. and they weren't even listening, they, had no, they, had, they couldn't even hear the music because it was in the background. The meter would pick up 93.3. And if they sat there for mm -hmm. 25 minutes or 30 minutes or right. 40 minutes, that meant that 93.3 just swept through like three quarters of an hour. Yep. And, yeah. and they just got credit for all of that. Now, the person who was in there wasn't listening to 93.3. Exactly. It was just on in the background. Right. And so the ratings game is so screwed up. Here's my point. What I would like to try and do, this is my big think big moment here for, for mm -hmm. this company side I want to create engagement metrics to say to an advertiser, don't tell me our ratings suck. Don't tell mm -hmm. me nobody listens to us. Mm -hmm. Ad agency who, who's yeah. buying on, on points. Here's engagement metrics. Here's how many active users we have in this social world. We're on the air three hours. We've got 21 other hours in the day to interact with people, to get an idea of what they're thinking about. Hey, we may steer our programming this way. Do you guys know that, that just recently I posted a few debates on this platform, right? Uh, one of them was about the Chargers Raiders, and I thought I had kind of sparked a provocative question and one was about best burger in san diego and i promise yeah. you the best burger debate absolutely yeah a hundred times more people right so evergreen so, the, so we might be able to find out what's the better thing to be talking about and then you know to, to say to an ad agency especially somebody who's who's buying nationally mm -hmm. to say to somebody hey look yes here's what our ratings say but here's our active engaged users on a social platform where you can reach them and for all of that, now there's a way for everybody to be monetizing. And, and if you're a user, forget about making money as, as a, you know, a professional broadcaster or mm -hmm. an influencer. But if you're just a user, you would like to become more than just a user. You'd like to have a voice. Yep. You know? And the more points you earn, the more status you will have. And then how about redeeming those points? Like right. I use American Express because American Express, I will cash those points in for airline tickets or whatever I want. 
How about for every action and everything you do, collect points, 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 and then redeem those points. You're not going to do that on Twitter and Instagram. No. So that's kind of my theory. Facebook? My, my no. thought is, is that everybody should win. You know, the, the people who create content and who know what their audience likes to engage in should, should be able to potentially make money with, yeah. with a social following. And people who want to create a social following, you know, can be, can be judged. There's wins and losses and there's points for winning. Uh, and I had a guy come to the radio station one time. I had, the, you know, last year I did this thing with, with this, these listeners, um, the Great Friend Sports sure. Network. And it was 32 different people and everybody covered an NFL team. So all 32 people came in. And then I started to figure out which ones were the most engaged. So I, I asked about 10 people to come back. And we were all sitting around the conference room at 1090. And um, this one guy really struck me. His name was Quincy Anderson. And he's on Twitter at, at comp, C-O-M-P, underscore, um, competitive convo at comp convo, a terrible Twitter handle. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I said, what is comp convo? And he goes, competitive conversation. I said, real, what is, what, what are you talking about, man? He said, well, you know, dude, he goes, I'm an Uber driver. He's telling me this sitting in the office. He goes, I'm an Uber driver. I said, yeah. And he said, you know, I know way more about sports than you. I have way stronger takes than you do. And, and, and I've got way stronger opinions than you have. He was, but you have 50,000 watts and 15,000 Twitter followers, mm -hmm. and I've got 230 Twitter followers. He was, if I had a way to gain status, nice. I could become an authority. And by the way, isn't everybody nowadays trying to become their own little media authority? Right. right. So yes. I feel like this platform, as it grows, now by the way, I just want to say one other thing. The platform as it is today is what's called a minimal viable product. I didn't know what, I didn't know what that meant a year MVP. ago. MVP. Yeah, it's ready I, to go. I didn't know what that meant a year ago. And so now it is ready to go. It's, it's ready for guys like yourselves. Listen, if you're Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman and you debate, sure. debate, debate all morning long, why say continue the debate on Facebook? Why not say continue the debate on this platform where, by the way, we can place ads. We can place content that we, we want you to engage in. We can find ways to create a, a greater opportunity for our audience to gain something mm -hmm. and be more loyal to us and to give them the stuff that they actually want. And so I think there's a, there's a data collection world out there that people are trying to find out about specific demographics and how to target them. And so I guess really what it comes down to is I'm trying to prepare my life for life after sure. radio, really. Yeah. I, I I like, think, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think if you're listening, it boils down to this. You are going to win. Cap got really inside baseball right there, which is awesome for me and for Dave and showing everything. But I think ultimately at the end, the nuts and bolts of it is a lot of you that have conversed with Scott or Dave or myself, either through the radio or through email or through social media that have never been rewarded. Scott now through cited is giving you that opportunity. Yeah, that's what we're trying to build, which I think is great. That's right. But here's the thing. You know, this is the hardest part about doing what I'm trying to do. And, and by the way, using my own podcast, learning a shit ton of stuff. Right. Is, is I'm trying, I started off by going to my friends who, who had encouraged me to start a business and they all put their money where their mouth was. So I raised half a million dollars and you know, I've got some money left, but yeah. I, I got to get back out on the streets to get the next race. Cause by the way, when you're doing what I'm doing and you're kind of bootstrapping, that's kind of a cool sounding phrase. I don't get paid. Yeah. I, so I raise the money. I'm not going to have my friend's money pay me. So I don't get paid money yet. I need to, I need, I'm trying to build, now I'm trying to build a company. A friend, one of my investors said to me, you've proven your point. The question was, could you get people to engage on an additional platform? And, and the, does the world need another social media platform? Probably not. Are there going to be hundreds more? Yes, there are. Yeah. You know, so I'm trying to come up with a more organized way to have real conversation 
no, while be simultaneously fun. rewarding people for their participation because they've never been rewarded before. Yeah. And and also, got anybody who's got a, a following, like, for example, when I started this, I started investigating this whole thing. I, the first person I went to see was Jim Rome. And I drove up to Jim's studios, and he'd just gotten off the air, and we sat in his studios, and I said, I said, here's my question. You have a million five Twitter followers. Mm-hmm. How much money did you make from yeah. those Twitter followers? Yeah. And he said, zero. The other day, just a couple days ago, I said to John Clayton, you have a million five Twitter followers. How much money have you made with that? Zero. So if you're John Clayton and you all of a sudden aren't on ESPN anymore and the, and the paychecks have stopped, mm-hmm. there's a way to utilize this massive audience that you've built and monetize it. Right. But media personalities are generally just so focused on content. They're not usually focused on business. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, it's funny. Uh, Jeff and I have talked about you and basically exposing the brand. I was explaining to my wife before he came over who you were, how basically you and BR, you guys started a show a couple years after we did. You branded it so much better than we did. Jeff and I looked at it as, hey, we're just going to be two friends that sit there and spend time. You did the whole great friends deal. You did the whole... Uh, let's get out of the studio kind of a deal. Stable. Stable. You know, there's so many things that you did that we said you looked at it as a business. We looked at it as a friendship. If we could go back and do it again, we probably would have followed a lot in the steps that you guys took. We were fools to not sit there and be serious about our craft and our brand. And we never used the term brand until maybe two years ago yeah. when we started this podcast. We Six just, months ago. Yeah, we, <laughs> we never got... We <laughs> I never, told you that. Yeah, we, yeah. it's true. We were never We were never serious about it. So... I always look at things, um, how could I make those better? What's the next big thing? Yet, I've never acted on it. And you've done it. There, Bill Simmons does it. You know, and you go, okay, what that guy's thinking ahead. He's thinking outside of, of what he does, just speaking in a microphone. The one that always stood out to me, this is a dumb idea, but it always stood out to me, going, it was that simple, it was right in front of your face, was Woody Harrelson came out with this beach towel idea in the late 80s. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> seen one. Do you know what I'm talking no. about? No. He came out with a round beach towel. And the reason he came up with the round beach towel was so you wouldn't have to get up and move your goddamn towel every time the sun moved. <laughs> you just moved your body. <laughs> right. The guy made millions and millions of dollars off no a way. fucking round beach towel. Woody Harrelson did? Woody Harrelson. Yeah. And it was right in front of your fucking face. <laughs> I know. And you're going, how the hell you do it? And so, when you, just like you said, you go through these followers and you're going, hey, look at the numbers I have. The numbers don't mean shit. But if you can sit there, if you're, you mentioned John Clayton and Ed Warder sitting there doing nothing. Right. You know, you have guys out there who now all of a sudden getting pushed out of the market they're used to, but yet they still have the followers. They there. have a following. Some people like them. You're mm-hmm. not going to get everybody to engage. But but if you have a million Twitter followers and you could get 10 percent of those people to engage, that's 100,000 people. You're moving the needle. Sure. For advertisers when you have control of 100,000 people. You, or when you have the attention is probably a, a better way of saying it. When you have the attention of 100,000 people, listen, that's why Kim Kardashian and, and her whole family, it, it's why they can buy a $15 million house in the desert yeah. as their weekend house because they've become such huge uh, movers of people because of their following. They've used everything to create a brand, you know, and, and now they've got this massive following. So if, if they've got 70 million Twitter followers and 10% of those people do what they ask them to do, that's 7 million people doing that. Uh, Scott, I want to, I want to bring it back to radio because this year on January 1st, Dave and I, uh, we've been very open. Our, our lives changed on the same day. It was so weird. Uh, Dave's father passed away and he called me to let me know that. And I go, that's incredible. An hour ago, I found out I'm getting a divorce. And it's January 1st, January 1st. Happy New Year. Yeah. Yeah. We had been here. The crazy thing was we had been in this house 12 hours earlier 
celebrating, saying, man, this is going to be a great year. Yeah, like 50 people in my house throwing yeah. a New Year's Eve party. And the next day, uh, his father passes away, and I find out I'm getting a divorce. And 2018, though, for you, has also been an interesting year professionally. Because you, I feel like, have always had that personality where you've really been a loose cannon. Where you come in, and you go for it, you're prepared, who gives a fuck what I say, I'm going to have fun, and I'm going to have fun with my pals Billy Ray because I know I'm there, and I'm going to have fun because I know Welby is going to keep me on track. And everything kind of changed with BR stepping away and Linda's recent health scare. God damn, she looked fantastic in that picture the other day. Gorgeous. But for you, Mm -hmm. as a guy who, yes, has always been driven by business, but has always loved being on the radio, Mm -hmm. how challenging has it been the last couple of months when you come in to flip that mic on and try to be the same guy while your life has changed so much? Yeah. That's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, So, yeah, I mean, obviously things have changed, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can hear it on the radio. Um, Billy Ray comes in on Fridays now. You know, he he did a deal with the radio station because, look, I mean, it's no secret. And and it's it's really not my place to talk about it because, because there's not... I don't have a name for it. I don't have a diagnosis for it. I just have a, I know what I see, you know, and I know what I've seen. And I just know that Billy Ray is struggling with memory loss. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what it's called. Is it early stage dementia? No idea. Anything related to Alzheimer's? Zero idea. Is it CTE? Don't tell me that you can't diagnose CTE when somebody's still alive. Because I've watched a, a person who for 17 years, you know, Billy Ray was super smart and fast witty and 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 just creative and he was he was just really really a sharp dude Mm -hmm. and he'll tell you he'll be the first to tell you he's having memory problems and when you have memory problems and you're on the radio Mm -hmm. and shit's happening fast i mean dude it's hard to keep up you know when you can't remember that the dodgers are playing the braves and you can't name a player on the dodgers anymore you can't even come up with kershaw you know um it's it's just hard and yeah. and and it is it is very very hard to have watched. You know, we had a, he and I had an amazing conversation just the other day um, about Junior Seau, mm-hmm. and I said, Billy Ray, I said, do you remember the day that Junior killed himself? And he he kind of giggled and he goes, you know, I don't remember that day. Wow. And I said, well. Let me see if I can refresh your memory a little bit. So I start kind of taking him down memory. I said, you know, you're home by yourself. We had been fired at that time. Well, this is perfect time, yeah. right? <laughs> um, we'd been fired. And um, I said, and, and I was at some golf event. I don't know why. And and your wife, Kimberly, called me and said, hey, Scott, Billy Ray's by himself. Can you go to the house? So I went to the house and he and I sat there and just watched yeah. the coverage for hours. And we were just in shock. And as I'm recalling, I'm kind of telling him all of this. He's going, yeah, you know. Maybe it's kind of sounds a little bit wow. familiar, but so he's, he, he is having memory problems. Yeah. It has to be related to football. The difference is between Billy Ray and junior sale is that Billy Ray has a great support system. Mm-hmm. He's got a wonderful wife. She has terrific parents um, who live, you know, just a couple hours up the road in Ohio. His daughter lives in Florida, but, but you know, they're really, really tight. And, um, and Billy Ray makes money. Um, both through 1090 and some other things that he has in his life. Kimberly is still employed and, and, you know, doing well in her career. And so he has what junior didn't, you know, when you heard, when you saw the junior story, you know, it was sad and tragic, right? Billy Ray doesn't have sad and tragic um, in, in his, 
world. You know, he, you see him in pictures. He's dressed up to the nines right. and he's out at, you know, charity events. And, and so, hey, he puts on a smile. He's still the mayor of San Diego. Yeah. But, but, you know, he just, he just doesn't remember a lot of stuff. When he goes out to those charity events, is he happy to be there? Is he worried that they're going to put... Because everyone wants to do the remember win when you run into a guy like Billy Ray. Yeah, he's... Um, I'd be scared. He's... He... I will say this. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking candidly, but I'm trying to be careful about what I say just because I don't want to invade his privacy. Sure. I'll just say this. I don't think he really enjoys the being out and about so much anymore because I think it's hard when people come up to go, hey, Billy Ray, and he looks at him and goes, hey, how you doing? And chances are he probably doesn't remember who they are, you know? And so, listen, it's not something that he's, he's bashful about. He talks about it on the radio. He came in on Friday of this past week, by the way, and... You know, doesn't okay. Here's a perfect example. Earlier in the day, he and Kimberly had recorded an interview with Ladanian Tomlinson, mm. and um, and so I said, Billy Ray, what did you think about what LT said? And he went, I, I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember what he said. Wow. And this is just a couple hours earlier, yeah. and and it was an amazing contribution to the show because yeah. I mean, he he, he really, I mean, this interview that he did, the, the, the smarts to call him, the questions to ask him, the, the you know, here, use the platform, um, and the, the sound bites that came yeah. from it. I mean, incredible. What a contribution to the show. It was amazing. That's the Billy Ray. The Billy Ray used to come in every day, I mean, prepared, ready, knowledgeable, smart, ideas, ready to play his guitar, you know, ready to just, yeah. I mean, do whatever it was, he was ready to do it. And now it's just things are just a little bit different, you know? Yeah, I like him so much, and I know Dave does too. Um, because you guys, it's funny, even though we're always at different stations, we always liked each other. Yeah. And, and you know, when you, a guy like Billy Ray Scott, I'm glad what you said what you did. Because for me, Dave and I did Monday Night Football for two years with Junior. I knew Junior back to high school. The last time I saw him was January of 2012 at an event at the restaurant. And I was sharing this story with a friend yesterday, and he literally didn't know it was me. And there was just kind of a a blank, and Ernie Hahn had to say something, and it really made me sad. And Dave and I saw both of you guys last year. We saw you and BR at the San Marcos Tory game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you had said, we were aware, but he was just great. And I remember uh, he showed me this picture. And he said, okay, this is Colts football. Look at this. Oh, my God, damn. Colts. can't remember he was on the Chargers, right? And I, I never played in the NFL. He said, look right there. Who is that? And I knew. I go, Mike Curtis. And he was fired up. And he was just great because, you know, he was doing the finger. Yeah. And he, uh, <laughs> doing the finger. Which is great. The you finger know. bit. <laughs> yeah. But, but he was engaging and he was cool. And there was just kind of a protection around yeah. him. But uh, uh, we just, like I said, man, he's somebody that we like a lot. He's always been nice to this show. He's been nice to us. And uh, it, it, we're cheering for him, man. I, I love the guy. And I'll tell you, yeah. you know, he, um, I, I could tell you stories about things that Billy Ray had done for me uh, along the way that would tell you why I would always want to be completely loyal to him. Mm-hmm. And, and when this whole thing was going down, you know, I was literally in his house sitting there with him and Kim saying, what is it we want to have happen here? You know, for me, here's what I want. I want Billy Ray to be remembered as a great player. Right. Who was a great family man and community man. And I don't mean to sound hokey about that. It's just that's who he is. And, yeah. and, and, and that's who he is. And I don't want people to 
um, say things like, why is he still on the show or he's not lending anything? I don't like that. That, that hurts, yeah. you know, and, and, and people are mean, they know? Are. especially yeah. on Twitter. People are fucking mean. Right. Yep. And so I didn't want that for him. So for me, my goal was to get him out of this without making him sound bad. Mm-hmm. By the same token, it was, we have a show here and, and a brand and how are we going to deal with this? You know, and um, and I got to be honest with you. It's not like I took two weeks off and thought about it and came back and was refreshed and ready to go. I mean, the shit was happening on Friday to Monday. Yeah. You know, and um, but but we were working on things and we were coming up with things. And, you know, I sat me, Billy Ray and Kimberly, and I sat there in their house. and I said, listen, here's what they're this is what they're trying to offer you to do. And this is what they want to pay you. And, and this is the deal, you know, and why would you not take the money and run, especially for the limited amount that they're now asking you to do? And, and we sat there and talked about podcasting. I said, let's come up with some really great ideas about podcasting, charger stories, um, or, or, um, be an advocate for players and, Mm -hmm. and, and concussions and, you know, take on a leadership role, you know? And, and he's, he's embracing it and he's putting out content and it probably wasn't until this LT interview that his podcast is really going to take off, you know? And, and when I say take off, I mean, I hope he continues to produce really good content. It's uh, It has to be very strange. I mean, again, it's a brand that we talked about. I mean, I keep thinking if that was Jeff and myself doing this forever. I mean, we're, we always said we're family. You and Billy Ray are, are, are family, where all of a sudden someone dramatically changes. You, you could hear it on the radio. I mean, I, I'll tell you as a guy that tunes in and goes, I know that show, that all of a sudden it sounded like, Scott, it sounded like you were spinning plates to keep the show going and doing the best you can to save from from sinking at the time and protecting him at the same time incredibly tough situation for for you did did you finally have to go to management did, did no. he go to management oh, God, did, no. No. i mean that that has to be no no the toughest move going i can't imagine having to do it for jeff or jeff having to do it for me no 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 i would never go to management never um billy ray and i have the same agent you know we all we all talked and and it was management who was going to billy ray and and you know, to our representative and saying, look, he's not the performer he was. And that's just the reality of the, of the business. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, listen, when you're a linebacker and you're 35 and the running back is 24 and he goes flying by you, it's because, you know, you've, you've, you've played a long time. Billy Ray's had an insane broadcasting career. Right. You know, he went from player to broadcaster and was a creative, funny, smart, witty television sportscaster absolutely and then started to work his way into radio and i can tell you that when, when i first got to san diego in 2001 there wasn't anything he wasn't doing he was on the best damn sports show back mm-hmm. in the, the, the old fox right. days he had a fox radio show he was calling ucla football he was hosting the san diego state you know athletic department show he was hosting the the Chargers show on channel four san diego back then i mean he was the hardest man, hardest working man in local media back then. I know yeah. it, it sounds crazy to think about because it was 17 years ago, but at the time, Billy Ray was about 38 ish. Yeah, you know he's in his late 30s. He was 10 years removed or so from playing. Uh, yeah, you know because he, he retired in like 92. Yeah. So he was about 10 years removed from playing. He's in his late 30s. He's on fire. Yeah. Fox Sports um, and and Fox at one time was like, hey, his name's Billy Ray. Let's put him on a NASCAR race. I mean, they really they had plans for him, you know, and he, he had a couple of great years. I mean, I can remember he and I being at the Rose Bowl because he and Kevin Frazier were hosting the national postgame show. Right. I mean, he was on fire in his broadcasting career. 
And and you know, look over the over the years, I watched. You know, we had a foundation. You talk about branding, right? Sure. What's one of the things we did? Let's have a foundation. Let's let's do scholarships for military. This is the war broke out. What can we do for these people, et cetera? We had a foundation. It, it, things just started to change. Billy Ray didn't want to show up to meetings or every time we'd have a meeting, oh, I forgot, my bad, I'm sorry. You know, it just it just got to that point where he just wasn't engaged anymore. He wasn't he wasn't nearly as um, as professionally ambitious as he had been. Yeah. And I was like, okay, he's just going through some changes. No biggie. He, why did why, he doesn't have to work that hard? You know, why why is he killing himself? But it just he just started to very slowly just kind of not his memory just yeah. started to fade away. And it's it's listen, I love the guy. I love him so much. I uh I can't I if I told you guys, well I'll tell you guys one quick story real quick. Um we got fired the first time in 2002. So I had come out in 2001. And and we got fired pretty much the following year because if you guys will remember the history of it, but six ninety was going up to L.A. Oh yeah 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 eleven fifty right right so they 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 fired us they were keeping Steve Mason they yeah. were keeping Hacksaw yeah they were replacing us with Tony Bruno and I don't remember who else but what, what the p- bottom line was um, we were fired and I was by the way in the middle of my first lawsuit um, here in San Diego. <laughs> And so, so Clear Channel at the time was taking care of it. I mean, they had indemnified me, so they were paying for all the legal bills. But I'm embroiled in this lawsuit, and and my contract was like a two or three year contract. So Clear Channel paid me the money that they owed me. So whatever, however long I had, twelve months, they paid me in one lump sum. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that long. And um, and so I'm sitting here. I had just bought a house. I had small children. I had a couple of grand in cash that they'd given me. I'm in the middle of a lawsuit. I mean, I'm I'm. I'm feeling pretty desperate. I mean, I'm young. I'm like in my early 30s. I'm going to cut you off. This is what makes me laugh is I don't know if you remember, but 2003 Super Bowl is the Buccaneers Raiders in town. I run into you at media media day on the the field. Yeah. And I don't think you and I have spoken maybe more than one time. And you said, hey, you've been fired before. What do you do? What am I supposed to do? And I was like, I don't want to be known as this fired expert. (laughs) (laughs) Billy had five more to go after that. Go ahead. I'd already been fired a couple (laughs) times myself. The one conversation we had was, hey, what did you do? Well, the thing was is, so here's the deal. So so again, I've given you the setup. I'm fired. I've got a few dollars, but I'm kind of, I just bought my first home. I've got young kids. I don't know what's going to happen, you know? And Billy Ray was going to work for Channel 4 the week of the Super Bowl. And he was going to do a lot of television hosting because Super Bowl is in San Diego. And this is pre-NFL Network. And Channel 4 was going to lead the way to what the NFL Network would eventually do. They didn't know they were going to be this, uh, you know, they were going to be these trailblazers, but they turned into, believe yeah. it or not. I know this sounds a little ridiculous and, and very locally hokey, hokey, but I'm telling you that is what happened. And so Billy Ray was going to work for Channel 4 San Diego and he was going to do a week's worth of work. And they were going to pay him $8,000, mm. 8000 bucks. And we were fired and we didn't have a radio show anymore. And there was no podcasting at the time. And there was no Twitter at the time. And Billy Ray went to Dennis Morgino mm-hmm. and Dan Novak, if you know those names. Sure, absolutely. And and he said, hey, look, I want my radio partner, Scott, to work with us because I think we're going to get back on the radio and I think it'd be good for us. So if you don't mind, I'd like to split the money. You pay me 4000 you pay awesome. him 4000 And so, um, and I remember Billy Ray saying this, and if Kimberly and Billy Ray listen to this, they'll kill me. He'll kill me. I, I remember him saying to me, don't tell Kim. Because she'll be pissed. <laughs> yeah. she'll be, and it, I don't mean to make it seem like it no. was bad. It's just that, you know, Shay, she knew that he was working. Yeah. And, but and but it was he, that's the kind of heart this guy has. Yeah. He knew I needed money. He knew that I needed to keep my face exposed in town because I was relatively new to town. And by the way, we wound up, 
he had so many events to do because again, remember he's ten years removed. Sure. He's a star. The Super Bowl's in town. I'm out there hustling, working till yeah. all hours Saturday night. So I earned the money. But if it wasn't for him being willing to split it with me, yeah. you know, I mean, that's the kind of guy he yeah. is. That's who Billy Ray is. I, I appreciate you being candid about it because I think too many times in the past, things like this have been brushed to the side. There are people on social media. They're just fucking dicks. But the other thing that I have found this year, going through what I've gone through, um, is there's a lot of good people, too. There's a lot of good people that have been incredibly nice to Dave and been incredibly nice to me that may not know really what's going on with Billy Ray. And, Scott, when they hear you say that, uh, I, I think BR may be in a situation where he's not you know, necessarily sure where all the extra love's coming from. But he deserves it. What's funny about that, what you yeah. say about the radio show is, it's weird how all this comes together because uh, Bill Pugh and Joe Titino made me an incredible offer to be the morning show producer at 690. And I had just got off a of really grind from producing for Hank. And I love Hank, but uh, Hank and I have been through so much because... We were threatened to be fired every three days, and that went for two and a half years. And and Bulldog and, and Bill Pugh wrote me like the most insane offer that no producer should ever get, and I turned it down. And that would have been my door in at 690. Well, seven months later, they put us on the air at KFMB, and here we go. But what was funny was the ties that I had to that show, knowing Sean and knowing Fricky, and when BR came in and started filling in, the thing that we always heard was, there's no way I'm fucking doing morning radio. I am doing this for a little while to be the bridge guy till they get somebody in here and then I'm getting the fuck out because I'm doing Channel 10. I'm killing it on Channel 10. I'm doing all these different things. Goddamn later, 17 years later, I right? I know. I know. You know, I, I, <laughs> I, I've said to Billy Ray um, in, the, in years past, I said, you know, you're way more famous for being on the radio than you are for being a charger player. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, dude, you, 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 ha you haven't played because now, figure it's 2015. Sure. And he retired in, call it 1992. So it's 25 years later. I'm like, bro. You've been on the radio right. for, for the last 15 years every day. Yep, every day. You know, I go, there's a whole generation of young people who are 21 years old that their dads were driving them to school in the morning and they know who you are their whole life, but they don't know you as Billy Ray, the former NFL player. They know you as Billy Ray, the guy on the radio who, yeah. oh yeah, used to play for the Chargers. He's like John Madden. Nobody knows that. Right. <laughs> right. That's a great analogy, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's had a, a sick career. You know, I look at guys like Dan Fouts. Mm -hmm. Has Dan Fouts had a better broadcasting career or has Dan Fouts was he a better football player you, you know what I'm trying to get at yeah, here yeah sure because I mean, think about what Dan Fouts has done in broadcasting from Monday Night Football the to, the, to the right to the years yeah. of on CBS I mean he's had a Hall of Fame caliber broadcasting career yeah. that has way outlasted his playing days yeah and you think if you're 30 right now and you see a game and Dan Fouts is the analyst right. you think you what are you, you you're bringing up the stats of Air Coriel yeah no I mean he's just a guy on TV yeah, and, and showed that he could do play-by-play -play and color. Oh, yeah, he's which very versatile. His, uh, his work ethic speaks volumes. I, I look at the numbers. Uh, a buddy of ours throws us the numbers every month. And I look at them, and I'm always comparing. And you're always pretty much the number one guy. Darren's right there. You guys are close. What, what challenges you right now? I don't feel like there's a guy. Do you feel like there's a guy, a show in the market, not necessarily on your own show, but I, Scott, I don't see anybody nipping at your heels. And, and I know you have a work ethic. We've talked about that. 
But when you look at other shows around town, what motivates you? What challenges you to come in every day and say, fuck, man, I got to be really, really good or I'm not going to beat this guy who's got 200 fucking listeners. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't obsess on the ratings. No. So I don't even look and go, well, who do I have to try and beat? You know, it's not like the old days, at least not to me anyway, uh, where you definitely knew, like when I was on in the mornings. Right. You know, I would know that Dave Shelley and Chainsaw right. at That's KFMB. That's I was get to. Yeah, they would, I would know that our audience would go back and forth with them. Mm-hmm. So that, so that when, when people would leave 1090... They weren't going to go to another sports station or even a news talk station. Most people who would leave 1090, the the research showed, mm-hmm. would go to a, a classic rock station. True. So, you know, that's that was something that I would always try and think about. Like, well, especially in the mornings, let's make sure that we're giving this audience what they want. So let's make sure we are playing classic rock as our ins and our outs because we know that that's where they're going. We'll give it to them here too so that they don't have to leave. I mean, just all the little things you might think about um, because you're you're thinking, well, this guy's number one and this guy's number two. In the afternoon drive, I don't even think about it like that. And and by the way, with with um, podcasting and, and, and all the social stuff, I don't even necessarily think about it in terms of who am I competing with. Um, I am driven and motivated though every day to to give it everything I've got, mm-hmm. you know. And and there are some days where I've spent a ton of time researching and I've got a lot of things I really want to talk yeah. about. And there are some other days where I'm just making shit up, you know, <laughs> and and dancing naked for everybody, as you guys can I'm sure appreciate. Sure. I mean, you, you know, I remember being in, in in radio early on and somebody saying to me, if you unloaded every single story you had in your head, mm. you could be on the radio for a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 one week, you know, and so, so yeah, what, I'll tell you one thing, just back to one question you had asked me earlier, which I'm, I'm glad you did, because, you know, with Billy Ray now being in on Fridays, mm-hmm. and with Linda right now battling breast cancer, yeah, one of the things that I find very, um, something I find a, a lot of fun is how can we um, make up for their, their absence with a, a, a likable ensemble mm-hmm. of people. So, you know, Alex Padilla has become a, a bigger player. You know, I love Alex as a character. Sure. He's, he's young. He's Hispanic. He's from Oxnard. He's went to San Diego State. He lives in North Park. I mean, everything about him. Likeable. I love his character, yeah. you know. Um, Craig Elston. Craig Elston, to me, filling in for Linda you guys go back with Craig long, long time. And, and and Craig is because of that. He is local. He is mm-hmm. well known locally. He's got a lot of history and roots. Craig is um, unlike Linda, who who would help keep me on the straight and narrow, but could really talk more little league and, and mommy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Craig is to me, he's kind of the hero to the sports geek in town. Yeah. He's, he, he's kind of the guy that the bloggers like because he, he talks the statistical mm-hmm. bullshit language that I don't like to talk. Yeah. So for me, I'm, I'm, what I'm finding fun now is, is how to get Craig to fill in the blanks of things that a person who thinks like me and who listens like me, um, doesn't, doesn't think about. I don't think about all the little statistics. I the other day I said to Craig, "Give me a list of every guy that's going to be in the playoffs that has Padres in their DNA." And he starts creating a, a right. list. You know, I would. I have the question. Yeah. But I don't want to do the research, and and I. But but I know how what I want to get from him, and yeah. I know what what I want his contribution to be. John Browner. 
I need a I need a Stephen A. Smith yelling, screaming, angry black guy who hates Donald Trump, who yeah. thinks the man is trying to hold him down, who's willing to come in and be incredibly opinionated and really stir shit, and by the way, can talk NBA, which last year I started to notice that there's more young people wanting it, yeah. and now with LeBron in L.A., it's even that much more important. So what I'm trying to do is is I'm trying to use Burt Grossman on Tuesdays. And and I would like to incorporate Vincey Glenn at some point because, man, I yeah. love Vincey Glenn. Just, <laughs> he's, just, he's just another character of a of a guy who's in his you know late 40s, early 50s, who played in the NFL. The money's long dried up. That life is is over. He's, he's now out there hustling. I, I'm just, I love all the characters. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to, and that, so you ask what drives? What motivates? I still want to do a killer radio show every day. Yeah. You know, even though, you know, the radio business is so screwy. I don't know that after this contract is up, which is in 2020, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll ever get another contract like this. Mm-hmm. I'm working off a five-year contract. Mm-hmm. The money's good. It's not. It's not Dave Shelley and Chainsaw money. Sure. But it's it's good money. Um. But I started thinking a long time ago, like, oh, my God, man, I got four kids. I got three daughters. I got college. I got weddings. What am I going to do? And sometimes when we're in radio, I I think, um, especially because I've been in so long, we're so focused every day. What's the news? What's the story? What interviews do we have? What guests should we book? What comedy bits should we do? When should we take calls? You know, how can I use social media? Everything that you're thinking about every day, it takes up all freaking day and when you're done you got to start doing it for tomorrow right yep. you know you it never, never stop. stops on the weekend yeah. either. never never turn it never. off and so you know it, it will these jobs be here when i when i'm when this contract's up and i'm four i'm 50 years old yeah is there really going to be the kind of job that pays the kind of money in this market where sports are not as important Clearly to the community. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, that's why I've been trying to prepare for, I, I will tell you guys a story many years ago, real quick. What you mentioned, Hank Bauer, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't he have a partner? What was his name? Joe. Um, well, I worked, I produced that show. We had Kevin Kernan from the New York post. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it, was there Joe Bauer? No, Joe Bauer. Joe was Hudson and Bauer. Okay. Hudson Long time mornings okay. Okay. on KFMB. So, so I knew Joe just a little bit when I first got to San Diego. Yeah. Because I think in the same building he he had a morning show, but I I I think it was kind of understood that he had been a, a big radio star at sure. some point earlier, and I remember running into him one night at the La Valencia Hotel in La Jolla. Don't ask me what I was doing; I don't have any idea why I was there. But but um, I ran into him in the men's room of the men's room, and and we, I had been drinking, but not like I wasn't wasted drunk. And I remember him saying that he was doing like this Sunday morning gardening show. That he'd brokered the time and he's selling his own ads. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, dude, what if like my radio job right. ends and I don't have anything other than I, I got to put together my next CD, my next yeah. tape, my next, my, my next YouTube video, something to put on my website. I mean, you know, I used to make audio cassettes. Then I made right. CDs. Then we, you know. MP3 files. Right. So, so what am I going to do? Make a, a best of highlight? You know, I've been on you the radio. You and Jerry Gross. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. so, I, I don't want to be in that position. It's, no. it's frightening, frankly. And he was iconic in this market. For anybody, Scott, listening, they were, I mean, that's the iconic morning show. 
And I know what you mean. I mean, they're guys right Radio now. Radio ended. It's over. Right. Look, look, look at Hacksaw. I don't know. Coach. Any, I don't know. Well, okay, but, but let me just use Hacksaw as an example. Sure. I don't know Hacksaw's financial situation at all. Okay. Um, he seems like a very smart and responsible guy. I mean, he's, you know, I'm going to my cabin in so-and-so in New York. And that so- yeah, yeah. Adirondacks. And I'm like, wow, I don't have a cabin. Shit. I don't, yeah. I, I don't have a cabin. I don't. I mean, man, I, you know, I, I, I kind of was scraping it together to pay for my daughter's, you know, travel soccer. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and he's got a cabin. Um, but, but he can't get back on the air. No. You know, and, and so it's still his passion. And so he still produces content. Yeah. But what he really wants is he wants to get back on the radio. And, and, and it, I don't even think it's necessarily for the money. But the point is, is like, okay, here, here's another real life, real time example. My friend JT the Brick. You guys know JT the Brick. JT the Brick, right? Guy's been on the radio forever. They just yanked him off Fox yeah. Sports Radio. And no warning at all. None. In fact, they were really talking about a deal and then they yanked him off the radio. And so it's not that he wasn't prepared financially. He's been living in Vegas rather than living in LA. I mean, he, he's a smart guy when it comes to money, but how do you get these jobs again? Right. Where do you go? You know what I love about JT? Uh, we were at KFMB. We we're at KFMB, and JT came in. He'd been working in La Jolla, and he bought a show on Sunday night. He bought time because I'd be sitting in there, and he had every goddamn guy he could think of call that show. Mm-hmm. And he would take a 20-minute window of that and send it out, and it looked like the craziest show ever. And, Scott, we were saying as far as you – knowing the business, being ahead of it. And he said to me, come with the ride. Come ride this. I'm going to produce it. But I love Padre Baseball, and I was producing it. That goddamn guy was brilliant. Yeah. But you know what? When you'd see, uh, I've called him John for 20 years, when you would see JT and Tom Looney, they're the same fucking guys they've always been. They're mm-hmm. great guys. And yeah, when you see that note, for me, that hurts. Because you go, dude, that's a guy I like. And he's still doing Raider stuff. Nobody died. Nobody's doing that's anything. Right. That's right. But there's been a life that he's lived, and he is a guy that loves being on the radio, and that's taken away from him. But, He'll but, find something, but it, I, he's just a good dude. But it's like being a player, you know? Sure. If you're a ball player, and your team, you're an iconic ball player, and your team no longer wants you, right? they let you go, it's not your team anymore. You thought yeah. it was almost like you were entitled to it. It's mine. Yeah. You know, I think of 1090 and I think of it being my radio station. I think Darren probably thinks of it as being his radio station. And, and one day if, if let's just say hypothetically, the parent company that owns 1090 decided to clean house with, with uh, management or, or change the format or fold up shop or, or sell the station, whatever it might be, you're not entitled to those airwaves. Yeah. You know? And so, that's that's the hard part of this industry in this time when Facebook and Google can show advertisers what real metrics look like. These are the number of people that that saw your your ad. These are the number of people that clicked your ad. These are the number of people that completed a transaction with your mm-hmm. ad. When when Google and Facebook can show everybody those kinds of numbers and radio is like, "Well, look, we have 92 million people listening to radio around the country." Every week, that's more people that listen to radio than watch television. Okay, but but you're an advertiser and you want real return on your yep. investment. See, it, it, that's why local radio still works to this day, obviously, sure. because there's the Gary Cooper of Mountain Trust Mortgage, who's <laughs> a local guy in Rancho yeah. Bernardo, who for the amount of money it costs can 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 have a lot of visibility and and can brand himself through a radio show. Mm-hmm. 
on the flip side, by the way, you look at a company like Mattress Firm, just claimed bankruptcy. Yeah. Prior to being Mattress Firm, they were Sleep Train. Sleep Train built their business on Rush Limbaugh yeah. and on talk radio. And then they sold out to a bigger mm -hmm. company, and the bigger company said, we don't want to do radio anymore, and now they're filing for Chapter 11. Done. So the power of radio works. It's not as quantifiable as Google and Facebook. What I said was, people have said this to us because this show has been good because we've been able to, to be a little different. And when people say to me, you know, podcast is the future, this, 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 I say, hang on. If you're compelling, people will find you. People will go to XM to listen to Howard Stern. I don't know how many people are going to XM to listen to my buddy R.J. Clifford, who I love doing MMA radio show Tuesday at 1 o'clock. But they'll go to Stern. You and Darren and Rickards and anybody else you want to say are on terrestrial radio. You guys are compelling and they're going to go there. There are 10,000 podcasts that you listen to where the guy sounds like he's off mic or he's bored and you're not going to listen, but we're happy that people like this one. So as long as the guy behind the mic is compelling and still cares, people are going to find you no matter where you are. Well, but you know what the thing is? And I, I'm just learning this because I this is my first year of podcasting. Yeah. And here's one thing I just learned just this past week, as a matter of fact. Do you guys know who a company called Ad Results is? Do you guys know that company? No. No. Okay, so Ad Results is a company that's here in San Diego. They're also in Houston. And I've done lots of things with Ad Results, and you guys probably have too and just don't even know it. They are 1-800-teddy-bears. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. They're, they're you know, pajama grams. They're Dollar Shave Club. They're Harry's Razors. They're Casper Mattresses. They're the ad agency that places those national brands on national shows like Rome. And sometimes they, they say, Darren, hey, we want you to talk about 1-800-GOT-FLOWERS for Valentine's Day. Hey, Scott, make sure you say gotflowers.com slash scottandbr. Mm -hmm. Use the promo code. Sure. Okay. So, so that's a company that does that. I was talking to a guy there the other day who was telling me that they now place ads in thousands of podcasts. He actually asked me, he said, do you put um, pre-recorded ads in your podcast at the midway point? And I said, no. And he said, oh yeah, we can, we can place ads for you. Nice. Yeah. Like, well, they could do that for you too. My point is, is that there is a world out there of, of advertisers that have decided that if the Dave and Jeff podcast gets 10,000 downloads, they can pay them this much money. Mm -hmm. And if the Scott Kaplan podcast gets 5,000 downloads, well, we'll only pay this much. But they're out there and they've got audiences. And so rather than saying, let's just only concentrate on the Joe Rogan podcast or Tim Ferriss or yeah. name your guy, whoever it is, whoever, whatever podcaster it is that you might listen to religiously, if you do, um, we don't have to only just go to the biggest names we can go to all the little guys too. Yeah. Because they're producing content and there's there's audience. So what I'm saying is is that there is a world of podcasting possibilities, especially to your point, if you create good content. Now, right now, when you look at radio from where you were when you first came to San Diego, you and I were talking a little bit off there about, you know, kids and where they were born and everything else. And for me, I came to San Diego in eighty nine. I tell the story all the time. The talk was a state of the art sports arena for the NHL and NBA. So here you are, you come to San Diego, you've come from New York, you come from Florida, and all of a sudden you're coming here and you're thinking it's all about growth and you've seen the decline. For me, it's been extremely frustrating. Mm -hmm. For you, again, you're trying to put a show together. There's one really professional team that people nationally would know, and that's the Padres, yet there are three sports stations. The three people doing the same freaking format right now. When you look at that and you go, how in the hell is this sustainable? And you know, as you talk about podcasting and other ways to be entertained, 
What is the future of sports radio in San Diego to you? Well, I think the first thing is 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 that you got to look at the companies that have these radio stations. Okay, so mm-hmm. first of all, you you look at Entercom, and that's a big national company, and they put together a sports radio station to go into business with the Padres, because for whatever reason they think that that's a, a an important place to play. Um, so. So that, that radio station, in my opinion, is not going anywhere. Um, they may try and run it as inexpensively as possible. They may try and make... Well, here's, here, well, you guys could probably... You'll probably know this better than me. When you look at the Padres as an example, you guys know Wayne Partello, and I'm sure Absolutely. a lot of people who listen know Wayne Partello. When Wayne Partello you know, took the Padres from 1090 and put them onto an FM station, he told me straight up, he's like, look, you know, we're trying to find a younger demographic and we're trying to spark a new audience. And we're hoping that the guy who comes by and who's listening to his favorite song then comes back and hears Ted Leitner all of a sudden comes to a Padre game. And that was obviously far-fetched. But what he also said was, we're not going to go away from 1090 because we know that that's where our, our ticket people are, our season ticket people are. So we have to keep providing content for them. In an ideal world, this is what Wayne was talking about, because there was a lot of talk about other places. We... There have been so many people in town that have talked about an FM sports talk station yeah. before these guys did it. And at that time, there, was, there were questions of, would you let us you know, buy a, a couple hours where we could just talk Padres 365 days a year? So that the Padres were interested in making sure that they had their own radio station talking Padres baseball all the time. So for me, until that deal ends with the Padres and that company, that station's probably going to be run here in town. And, and a big national company like that can absorb it. Yep. So I think that's they're not going anywhere. I think that the iHeart station, again, that, that they can undercut companies like ours, small independents, because they can sell across you know, all these different radio stations. So they can take minimal amounts of pennies to get ads on their sports station mm-hmm. because there's no ratings for it. I mean, it... it there just aren't there just there haven't been ratings um so and in particular most recently they've been really bad so those stations can can survive because they're supported by a by a bigger company it's it's small independent companies like ours that are you know the ones that are in the most peril if you will you know how much does the owner have how, how much do they love what what they're doing how important is it to them? Um, is it making money? Is it losing money? How much money is it losing? Is it sustainable? I mean, these are these are all obviously huge questions. Um, but as far as these three radio stations, I don't think they're they're going anywhere. No, it, it's funny to to me when I look at them. There's three guys running those stations that have no fucking clue about San Diego sports, and and that would be like Bill Howe hiring me. And say, you know what? Come in. You're going to be the day manager to run plumbing. Well, I've never done it. Great. You start tomorrow, and here's the money. Uh, it's it's just it makes you crazy. Here's why I'm so glad you're here, uh, because we've talked about Dave's talked about it. But when I look at my first year in radio, shit, as a kid running a board weekends was '91. I can look at every move I've made along the way. When we got fired from KFMB. Because we refused to sign a petition that would break the union. Cal Krask asked me to break the union. I said no, uh, because I was loyal to Ted and Mike Tuck. And Ted told me, you know, you're fucking dead. And I go, I know I'm dead. But at the end of the day, 
They've had young kids. Just bought a house. Yeah. ESPN. We got fired because we worked for a guy in Mexico who owed us close to $2,000. The guy said, I'll pay you the money, but the show ends today. I said, I need the money. We go. Uh, Free FM, we got fired for what uh, Don Imus said. I I was 10 days away from getting married. My fiance was pregnant with our twins. We get fired. I'm getting married. Uh, Imus, was this the... uh, Nappy-headed host. Yeah. And by the way, just... just (laughs) As as radio is so incestuous, you know that it was my former partner, Sid Rosenberg, yeah. who essentially walked Imus right into <laughs> well, that comment. Remind him yeah. that we all that, say that. that, that but think but think about how it, it how that hurt other people. Yeah. He has no idea. No, no, no. But the one thing that I look at on my resume that I hate, I hate every part of it from day one to the last day, is my experience at ten ninety. And here's I'm I'm going to walk people through this because I don't know if you even know, but you just said something that is very similar. I had spent two and a half years working for Dan Henderson uh, at Clinch Gear. I had a blast. We created an MMA radio show. We traveled. I got a deal on XM. I got a deal on AFN. And then the new owners said, you know what? We're moving everybody to Denver. You're all out. Uh, it was a good paying job. I had a mortgage. My sons were four. At that time, uh, we had just come off in December. We had done a couple of fill-in shows for Darren. And I remember Jack Cronin saying, uh, Scott and Billy Ray are going on vacation. Darren's going on vacation. And whoever else was over there, would you guys like to do some fill-in? They want us to do three weeks of fill-in. I said to Cronin, what's the compensation? Oh, well, we thought you needed fresh tape. Radio. <laughs> I, said, I said, we don't need fresh tape, but we'll do a couple of days of Darren's show. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Dave and I do three days of Darren's show. We have a great time. And all of a sudden, the talk is, would you guys come to 1090? And you and I chatted about it, and Darren and I chatted about it. And what was going to happen was, it was going to be Scott and Billy Ray in the morning. Hacksaw had been doing middays. Saw was going to be out. Dave and I were coming in there, and then we were leading into Darren. And I remember Dave and I saying, this is fantastic. We're going to be a bridge between these two shows. Scott and Billy Ray are cool about us coming in. Darren's cool about us coming in. We will get to go. It's our call to the bigs. Incredibly excited. We go in on a Friday. You are in Indianapolis. Your show's in (laughs) Indianapolis. And we meet with uh, Tex Meyer. And Mike Shepard, and they said to us in this meeting, they said, look, we're we're renewing Scott and Billy Ray. We're renewing Scott and Billy Ray. And, uh, and you know, guys, some changes are coming, but we're going to renew Darren. But there's going to be an opening probably around the start of spring training. I go home. I tell my wife, look, if we can just make it to March, we're going to be okay. First time we're going to be on the number one sports station in town. Yeah, but I've been fired. Scott, like you said, I got about two weeks of severance pay and mortgage and car payments and four-year-old twin boys. So that's Friday. Monday, we get a call from Cronin, and he says, uh, hey, man, what are you doing today? You got nothing. I'm out of a job. Hmm. He said... Well, come on down to the Del Mar Marriott right there, which I look at every time, and I'm like, fuck me. (laughs) 
And he said, you and Dave come to the Del Mar Marriott because we're going to have lunch. Our CEO's in town, and he's, he's an important guy. You want to meet him, Larry Patrick. And so Dave and I go to this lunch, and we go in, and we're chatting, and we're talking about our show. And we're telling him, we do the F of the day. We're kind of, you know, we pushed the line, the whole thing. And he says to us, uh, so when are you ready to go? And I remember looking at Dave, and we're still thinking it's all March. We're like, well, listen, when you call us, we'll be ready. And he said, well, you start Wednesday because I'm firing Scott Kaplan today. As soon as I walk <laughs> out of here. yeah. And I go, fuck. Yeah, we were shocked. Well, again, you get it. You get it because <laughs> well, I'm I mean, a- What a dick to even say that to you guys, though. Yes. Because at that point now, you knew something that I, Billy Ray, our agent, et cetera, we don't even know Johnny this is Pratt. coming. Yeah, we don't know this is coming. No. What a dick to even say that. About, but the other thing is... We weren't prepared either. I and mean, We weren't ready to do a show in two days. It was, but, but there's two fucking guys sitting there in Tex and Shep that knew yeah. what we had said, how much it meant to us in three different meetings... To follow you. ...that you had signed off on us and that Darren had signed off on us. And neither one of those fuckers say anything. And we go, okay... Now we're told, uh, listen, Kaplan's probably going to fucking sue us. So you guys can't do shit. You can't do any of this FU. You can't do any of this shit, anything. We don't know Johnny Pratt. We don't know Carlos. And we went in there, Scott, and it's, it's professionally the one time in my life where I'm like, I did the wrong fucking thing. I did this wrong. And it's February. There's nothing to fucking talk about. Jeremy, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Lynn, Lynn, Lynn Sanity. <laughs> but I, I would say now, the next move they make is Rosie and Sherrod get hired. 1360 guys come in. And every day I'm just fucking sitting there going because I go, I feel like I fuck guys over. And, and dude, I'm, at the end of the day, Dave knows it. Dude, hold on, I got to cut you off. Every day, Scott, at some point, either 8.30, 7.45, and whatever break it was, he'd look right at me and go, I fucking hate this place. I want to get the fuck out of here. I fucking <laughs> well, hate it every day. What I did was I hated myself. I hated myself because I didn't feel like I was true to myself. And I felt like, I, I, I don't know. And I'm not making excuses because I took it and I justified it by saying somebody's going to get this spot. You were fired no matter what. Right. But every day, Scott, I sat in there and then Rosie and Sherrod came in and the sales guy, uh, initials SH, you know that guy, said to Rosie... Uh, Spencer. Oh, gotcha. Fuck it. <laughs> we, all love, we love him because he was great to us. Forgot. But uh, but Spencer says to Rosie and Sherrod, hey, man, look, I'm just telling you, I'm not selling your show. I'm going to sell Dave and Jeff. I'm going to sell Darren. I don't know what they told you coming in. But there was a, a clear divide. It was kind of like the Warriors where the 1360 guys were clearly the outsiders. Mm-hmm. They fucked over Kaplan, they, right, is the way I felt it in my head. But then, uh, at the end, when the, when we knew you guys were coming back, we were like, okay, we can go fucking take Scott and Br to beers. And I really thought I'm gonna bring Scott and Br in here in the morning show, and I'm gonna fucking say, listen, I feel like I fucked you guys over. I couldn't say that, but I'm really sorry, and I'm glad we're finally on the same team. So, the Monday, you're you guys are coming back. 
we signed a deal with Fox Sports San Diego. Fox Sports San Diego is going to put $250,000 worth of equipment in that studio. Enberg's going to say twice a night, tomorrow on Dave and Jeff, boom, boom, boom. Rome's coming in. Darren, Kaplan, and Billy Ray. This is all going, all going. We get to the Friday, the final Friday. Foyer, Norm Foyer, nobody means anything, but I'm just telling it for Scott. Uh, I leave the station from Mira Mesa, and I drive home to La Mesa. And to get the fuck out of there, it's about a 40-minute drive. My phone rings. I know right where I am. I'm outside the mailbox at my condo. And it's Mike Shepard, who told me every fucking day for 10 months how much he hated Lee Hamilton. Hated Lee Hamilton, wanted Lee Hamilton out the door. He fucking hated him. Remember this part. My phone rings, and it's a very nervous Mike Shepard. Hey, buddy. How you doing? And I go, hey, Shep, I'm fine. What's up? Well, I need you to come back. I go, well, I'm not fucking coming back. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not coming back. If you have something to say, you can tell me here. Well, uh, I got to talk to Norm. I go, fine. He goes and gets the guy who's the GM of the station. They call me back, and they said, uh, some changes are coming to the radio station. And I said, all right. And they said, Scott and Billy Ray are coming back for afternoons. So I said, fucking great, man. Because in my head, I'm like, I don't even care about the radio station. I just want to clear my conscience. And he said, uh, we're getting Jim Rome, too. And I said, all right. He goes, so we're cutting the morning show by three hours. And I go, well, fuck, I ain't making any money. You cut my pay? They go, no, we're not cutting your pay. But Palais is out. No, Palais is out. We just signed a deal with Fox Sports San Diego. Norm Foyer says to me on the phone, well, when you make deals, sometimes you piss people off. And now I'm thinking because... The rumor had always been, and you can clear it up whether it's true or false, but the rumor had always been that there was tension at that time between the two shows, between Marty, your former producer, Scott Billy Ray. So in my head, I go, well, fuck, Dave's out, but they must be putting Darren to mornings with me, and Dave will understand I got a mortgage. I got to keep going. So I said, is Darren coming to the mornings? No, we're going to keep Darren in middays. And I go, Darren's in middays. Cap's doing afternoons. Rome's here. I go, who, who the fuck are you putting me with? And fucking Mike Shepard says to me on the phone, you know, buddy, I'm really excited about the dynamic of you and Saw. <laughs> and I go, are you fucking kidding me? And my neighbor, I go, Mike, this better not be a fucking joke. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and he said, no, no, no. I think this is going to be really fun. And I go, Mike, I can't fucking do this right now. So I called Dave, unlike anybody did for you. And I go, look, you, they just fucking fired you. And they're firing Rosie and Sherrod. And I go, and he's trying to put me with Saw. My other line blinks, Scott, honest to God, and it's Lee Hamilton. And Lee Hamilton says to me, hey, crazy day, huh? He said, uh, we got to think of a crazy name for this show. And I go, Lee, are you out of your fucking mind? Are you out of your fucking mind You're making this phone call? So I went to Disneyland with my sons the next day. They'd never been to Disneyland. They're four years old. And I said to my wife, I go, I can't fucking do this. It's career suicide. And I go, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. I cannot fucking do this. And uh, two weeks later, it's my favorite story. I don't know if I've shared this with you. If I'm being redundant, I apologize. Dave Zarati says to me, do you know Norm Foyer? And I go, no, I really don't. We go to lunch at the strip club in La Jolla. We go... Foyer, who looks like Buddy Hackett, orders a hoagie, and I just start fucking laughing. Scott, one bite in, 
He drops a piece of lettuce the size of my reading glasses on his shirt where it stayed for a two-hour lunch. This guy says to me, so what's your problem with Saw? And I said, I can't trust him. I don't trust him. I can't trust him. Plus, he hasn't progressed. He said, okay, let's do this. Do this show with Lee for 30 days. And if it doesn't work out, we'll fire him. You can bring anybody in. I'm just not bringing Palais back. I don't know what the fuck you did, but fuck you. Norm had to drop no. that, the Jew connection. Remember Probably. I tried to drop the Jew card. <laughs> Probably. The didn't work. <laughs> Jeff told me, don't ever use, do that again. <laughs> so so we all think that we're supposed to be yeah. able to use the card. Because our dads tell us to. He, right. He fucks up. <laughs> so Foyer says, do the show with Lee for 30 days. If it doesn't work, um, you can bring anybody in. And I go, you put it in writing? He goes, yeah. Dave Zarate Scott is sitting where you are at this lunch. He can vouch for everything. And what is he doing there? He came as the middleman because he had a 20-year relationship with Norm, but I wanted him there so it wasn't a he said, he said. Mm -hmm. I needed a guy there that I could trust to watch it. So Foyer says, you mentioned Vince Glenn. He goes, uh, look, man, he goes, I made, I've led Bob Scanlon. And Vincey Glenn are going to do some fill-in shows. I said, Norm, I left. That's fine. So he goes, uh, hey, I got an idea. You want to do a fill-in show? Why the fuck would I do a fill-in show? You just <laughs> took me to lunch to come back to my... I go, no. He goes, all right, all right. Don't get all upset. <laughs> the next fuck... I go home. I tell my wife. And I said to Norm, I go, look, Norm, no, this is not about money. Same deal. We'll do everything. We're all good. I go home. I tell my wife, look, I think I'm going back. I think I'm going back. I tell Dave, I go, look, man, I, I'm going back. I got a mortgage. The next, oh, and this is the, the kicker. I said to Foyer, I said, do me a favor. I will always respect chain of command, but for this, I don't want to deal with Mike Shepard. I said, please keep it between you and me. I don't have an agent, just, and we'll negotiate it. I said, when I move in, whatever Shep wants, I'm your guy. Perfect. The next fucking day, I have my kids at Aztec Park in La Mesa. My phone rings. Hey, hey, buddy. And I go, Fuck. <laughs> and uh, I go, fuck, because I knew it was fucked. And my wife's an attorney. I'm like, she's going to fucking kill me. Hey, sound like lunch went great. And I go, hey, Shep. And I go, uh, yeah. Well, I'm calling because Norm said you're ready to go on one of these fill-in shows. And I said, no. And he goes, oh, that's what we heard. And I said, uh, Shep, do you know what 14 to nothing represents? And he said, no. And I said, Mike, it's 14 times that somebody from your station has called me regarding this morning show with Lee, and zero times I've called soliciting the morning show with Lee. So I said, you guys go your way, I'll go mine, and I've never been back. But I'm telling you, man, for honest to God, Dave knows it too. In a 24-year career where I've been fired and different shit has happened and said stupid shit that I've always regretted, the biggest professional regret I have is saying yes on that day. Because I felt like a guy that I'd become a better friend with. I feel like I fucked you guys over. Um, I don't know how Dave feels on it. Well, if you notice, when you came back to your office, because we got Scott and BR's office, there was nothing in there. We never touched it. I don't it. know if you ever noticed. We never moved in. We never put one picture up. We never put anything to make it ours because we didn't feel it belonged to us. You know what it is, though? It's like when, when a head coach gets fired and the defensive coordinator, coordinator takes over. Yeah. You know, on one hand, you think, did the coordinator stab him in the back? But on the other hand, you think, well, somebody's got to run the ship, yeah. you know? And, and so as we, I think as we get older and as we can, this is stuff we're looking back on now. Yeah. We, we have more experience and, and principles 
are things that are not necessarily um, things that you are born with. You're not born with a set of principles. Right. And, and your parents may, may say, be nice to people. Treat people the way you want to be treated. I mean, things that you learn along the way. But your actual principles of the things that, that you don't negotiate. Yeah. Those things take years and years and years to try and figure out. And, you know, now I hear your podcast. And, and to be honest with you guys, I don't even know how you guys could get back on regular radio. No. Because you guys are so unfiltered on podcasting that, that you, you know, I don't even know you could bring the podcast to the radio, so to speak. Yeah. So so I don't feel like anybody fucked me over. Good. I feel like, like hey, everybody's got to feed their family. Yeah. You know, and everybody's got to do their job and everybody's got to take a chance. And, and, you know, they fucked me over, you know, you know, just by the way, to tell you, you know, you're when Larry Patrick, who, by the way, for people who don't know who this is, what happened was John Lynch, the GM of the 49ers, his dad owned 1090. And, and the very early days of, of when he put 1090 together, he had Doug Manchester as a partner. And Doug is one of these guys who, Likes it something at the beginning because it's shiny and sexy. And then he gets into it and he's like, ah, I don't want to be involved in this. And then he makes your life miserable because I want my money. So then John went to the Viejas tribe of Indians and said, look, this would be great for you guys to invest in our company. And it'll be great for your brand. It'll be great for your casino. We'll do all. And John's an incredibly charming sales guy. So he convinced Viejas to be an investor and a partner. And he paid Doug back and Doug left and that relieved him. But as the years went on and as the recession hit and so on, um, business took a really bad turn. And, and you know, more, and more Viejas took more and more equity. Mm-hmm. And I don't know all the dirty details, but it got to the point where they were now in charge. And John, who it was his station, mm-hmm. he, he didn't have the control anymore. But yet he still was playing like he had the control. And so there was a day when Viejas showed up. I'm not. Have you guys heard the story? Absolutely. September 2010. I just started with clinch gear. They called and told me. Yeah. yeah. And with guns, with with armed men, came to the radio station, and locked people in offices, removed people. Jesus didn't. I mean, it was Christ. it was fucking scary. Yeah. And Greg Wolfson, who was the GM at the time, came around to everybody's office and said, "Hey, everybody, come to the kitchen. We need a full meeting right now." And we go into the meeting. And there's a guy named Larry Patrick, same guy. Mm-hmm. And he says, hello, everybody. My name is Larry Patrick. I'm the new CEO of the company. And we're all sitting there like, what the, f- what? <laughs> yeah. John Lynch is not, John Lynch is not only the owner of the station. He's the father of the station. Yeah. He's the heart of the station. His daughter, Kara, Kara Guthrie, mm-hmm. she's kind of the soul of the station. And so, so they were real radio people. And they were real salespeople. And they had relationships with all the owners of the businesses. And they were hardcore, longtime San Diego people and deeply involved in the sports and the business worlds of San Diego. Larry Patrick walks in. He goes, hey, I'm Larry Patrick. I'm the new CEO. John's out. He'll never be back here again. If he ever comes anywhere near here, you know, shit, we thought they were going to shoot him. You know, they had locked John's daughter in an office. They, like, stood outside with a gun. Wow. Would not let her out. Um, and, and, and so what they did was what, what Larry Patrick did was he came in, he introduced a couple of guys from, from Viejas. One guy's name was Tori Big Knife. Yeah. Yeah. He was the CEO of Viejas. And I'm like, excuse me, what is your name? Yeah. You know, and of course I'm the dick that asks yeah. that, you know, and, and so 
So these guys took over the radio station in one day. It was yeah. it was a whole different world. And so Larry Patrick had been trying to negotiate with me one-on-one about what I wanted to, to do a new deal with the station. And I was telling him some things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he actually, I, I told him I wanted a signing bonus. I said, I, I really want upfront money. And next thing I know, this guy Tex Meyer comes to me a couple days later and he puts his arm around me. And this guy Tex is the new GM who's just Larry's puppet. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, and all my people are gone. You know, I mean, John Lynch is gone. His daughter, Kara Guthrie, is gone. You mentioned Bill Pugh is a program director. He's gone. I mean, everybody's gone from the family right. business. And, um, and he puts his arm around me and he goes, hey, is everything okay? I said, yeah, text, why? What's, what's going on? He goes, well, Larry just mentioned that you were talking about, you know, some upfront money and we were worried that maybe you had like gambling debt or problems oh, like shit. that. And I was like, no, nothing like that at all. I've got young kids and, you know, I've been, I've been busting my ass here for a long time and it would be nice to have like a chunk of change up front for the first time, you know? Right. Especially I know who our, our owners are now. They're the Viejas dudes. Right. So, interestingly, when he left you to tell you that he was going to come fire me, yeah. me, Billy Ray, and our agent, we had um, gotten space at the Grand Del Mar, ironically enough, a property that at the time Doug Manchester owned. <laughs> um, and, and we show up thinking we're having a contract negotiation. We walk in, sit down across the table from Tex and Larry, and Larry right away starts, he goes right into it. He goes, you know, Billy Ray, we really think you're like the greatest person on the planet. I mean, we think like next to Tim Tebow, it's you and him. You're just the best. We love you, Billy Ray. You're awesome. Scott, you're a fucking dick, okay? And you're fired. And if you ever come anywhere near 1090 again, I will, I, you know, I will have you arrested for, for you know, uh, trespassing and all this stuff. And I go, I, I, and I'm, you know, I'm 48 right now. This happened in 2012. Mm-hmm. So I'm 42, but, but I'm, I feel like I was much uh, greener mm-hmm. in business, particularly back then. But I did, I, I kind of took a deep breath and I went, I took a big deep breath and I went, okay, Larry. I said, you know what? I said, I- I've actually been fired by better guys than you. <laughs> I-, I mean, I remember, I don't know why I had the balls to say this, but I said, but you know what? I said, I'll just expect that you'll treat me like a professional. You'll pay out my contract and we'll go our separate ways. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he said, pay out your contract. You're fired for cause. And not only are you fired for cause, but your contract ends at the end of the month. So come sue me for the 30 days that I owe you. I said, Lair, um, you know, you're the CEO of the company and I know you're smarter than me because you're a lawyer, but um, I wrote the contract. I actually wrote it. Me and John Lynch wrote it together and I know exactly what it says and I know exactly when it ends. I go, and you're making a huge mistake here. He said, well, come get your money. Come, come sue us. What happened then after that, by the way, because, well, so here's what, so, so Larry looks at Billy Ray and he said, Billy Ray, your choice now is this. You either leave with your partner or you stay with us. And Billy Ray said on the spot, Again, six years ago, different different mm-hmm. things going on upstairs. Billy Ray said, I quit. That's it. I'm out. He goes, you have no idea what you've just done, Larry. He goes, this is the entire radio station. Right. He's pointing at me. He goes, it's not just the on air. It's the sales. It's right. the promotion. It's the energy. It's the, it's the, it's the concepts. Every, the, the energy of this radio station is this guy. He goes, so screw you guys. I'm out. And our agent goes, whoa, hold on. Everybody relax. <laughs> Everybody calm down. When we left, Billy Ray was told that he had a week to make a decision. Mm-hmm. By the next day, the same situation you were in, mm-hmm. his wife is like, dude, you're not getting fired or quitting because Scott opened his big fat mouth. 
which of course that's what they were firing. They, they're saying, well, you said this terrible thing about this woman. You called her a Sasquatch. Then you go on television and you didn't apologize. You said, we don't apologize for this. You've heard our business. You're fired. But what was going on was Larry thought that my contract ended in 30 days. And he thought that rather than paying me what I was asking for, which was a, an upfront bonus, because I'd been there a long time. Yeah. And, and because, um, I, I wanted, you know, money similar to what I was making. I wasn't asking for anything outrageous. It was, it was an easy way to cut ties. It was an old school radio trick. We found a way for him to step on his dick. He did it. It gives us an out. Let's fire him. Now, here's the really weird part. Larry had barely been on the job. Yeah. Larry's the CEO who lives in Baltimore. He's barely on the job. He has no exposure to what's going on in this town. Now, one of the guys who Larry had earlier... Uh, Larry had enlisted to run the station to actually operate 1090 was a guy named Jonathan Schwartz. Jonathan owned um, a radio station called uh, 102.1. KPRI. Okay. KPRI. Jonathan owned KPRI. KPRI was managing 1090. Okay. So, so Larry comes walking in after meeting with you, telling you that he's going to fire me. This is news to me tonight. Coming to me, telling me I'm fired. Larry goes walking into the radio station. And goes, I just fired Kaplan. And Schwartz says, are you out of your fucking mind? What are you talking about? And, and he goes, what? And, and he goes, you can't unilaterally make a decision to fire our, our highest profile talent. Right. And, and Patrick goes, I'm the CEO. I'll do whatever the fuck I want to do. So Patrick calls in the whole sales staff. Hey, I just fired Kaplan. Now here's all these sales guys who are, you know, th this is a living off of you. Correct. Yeah. They're making a living off the content that we're creating, you know, and the, and, and all the energy that we're bringing and all the events that we're creating and all the branding that we had done up until that point, they're make that's how these guys are making their livings. And this guy just cut their balls off. And then now you guys talk about feeling like you're fucking us over. Not even close. Everybody here had a family. Everybody here had a mortgage to pay. Okay. And everybody here had a dream and a goal. And, and, and had an audience and had background and it was getting you to where you were at that exact moment. Um, there's no way to, to be young and need money and have mm -hmm. young kids and a wife and turn down that kind of opportunity. You'd be foolish to do that. Mm -hmm. It was just a bad time and a bad situation for you guys because the audience was still pissed. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the the people inside the station were furious. You can imagine Jonathan Schwartz is running the station and has the rug pulled out from underneath him. The sales guys have the rug pulled out from underneath them. You guys want to go in and kick ass and do a good show. And they won't you, let us. But right, and you've got our producers who, yeah. who want to help you guys because because they're saying to us, what should we do? And I'm saying, guys, first of all, relax. You're both like 22 years old. Yeah. This is this is a job. It's not your career. Okay, so if you want to stay, stay. And if you want to continue to make the money, continue to make the money. It, I can't tell you guys what's going to happen. So you guys were put in a really bad spot. Mm -hmm. Those two guys, John Pratt and Carlos Montoya, they were put in a really bad spot. Guests that were oh, friends fuck. of mine were put in a bad spot. <laughs> yeah. You know, I remember Rick Harrow coming on with you guys. I was just going to bring up. Oh, poor Rick Harrow gets caught in the middle of that, sh that stuff. The guy who transitioned really well, by the way, was James Lofton. James Lofton's best friends with anybody that's yeah. currently on the air. <laughs> fucking guy. That fucking guy. Never knew you once you're off the air. 
But, but as soon as you're on there, you're my best friend. But hang on, Scott, let me ask you one thing. And this is the thing that makes me fucking crazy about this. And I don't know, Dave, that you and I have many times as we've told this story, I don't know that I've ever brought it up. What makes this story even more frustrating to me is that Tex Meyer and Mike Shepard were in the meetings with us when we were looking ahead to what the future was going to be for 1090. I'm of the belief that had we done that lineup, with you guys in the morning, me and Dave in the middays, and Darren in the afternoon, I feel like that could still be the lineup today it, it at could, 1090. It could easily be the lineup today. And I don't feel like we see 97.3, and 1360 is not there. I feel like that could have been the station. And you had two fucking guys that were in those meetings that knew how much we were excited, that knew there was a synergy in the radio station. Lee was moving out. We were coming in. And neither one of those two fucking dickheads has the balls to step up and say, hang on, let's get everybody in the room because let's let Kaplan say his piece. Let's let Darren say his piece, Dave and Jeff. And let's just show you, Larry, what the radio station's going to be. We live in a 24-hour fucking news cycle. Scott is who he is. Give him two minutes to say, fuck, yeah. we're live, no script. And yeah. then we move forward. But those guys, Scott, sat on their fucking hands and did nothing and impacted the station. So so let me just say this. So so Tex Meyer, okay. Again, people who are listening, they don't know these names, but just imagine this. Yeah. John Lynch is the father of the radio station. They have forced him out. They've they've it was ugly. Now Larry Patrick has taken over and he's an out of towner. He's a he's a guy who lives in Baltimore who's traveling the country, buying and selling and brokering the sales of radio stations, and Viejas doesn't know how to run a radio station, so they hire him. He, because he can't be here, hires this little putz named Tex Meyer. Tex comes in, and he's going to be the guy that's going to take over the, the operations. Tex is Larry's spy. Mm -hmm. Tex, this was, this was so bad. This is what a real uh, leech this guy was. After they fired us, um, I'll never forget. You guys remember there was a guy named Dan Giordano who used to own a, the Bob Baker Toyota dealership. Yeah. He was the operating partner. And for many years, he was an advertiser on our radio show. We called him the Godfather. And Dan lived around the corner from me, and I was close with him and his family. And Dan um, is a was a nice guy, very, very, very obnoxious. And I put up with a lot of his bullshit because he was our sponsor. And you know, when sponsors call you and yell at you and threaten that they're going to, you know, kill your advertising deal and so on, you know, you do everything you can to kiss their ass and make mm -hmm. them happy. So I was close with Dan and his family. Dan's wife was literally there's no bullshit was on her deathbed and she was at home and they were taking her to hospice. Fuck. And in the last hour of her life in her home, I sat there, just me and her, and I held her hand and I rubbed her hand and we talked and we laughed and we talked about the good times and we talked about the charger games and we talked about the tailgate parties and all this shit, right? And they literally took her. It was me, Dan, and his wife. And I believe a clergyman and then the people from the hospice. And they took her and they put her into the ambulance in front of his home. And I was holding onto her big toe, you know, and then they closed the door. And of course, not long thereafter, she died. Mm -hmm. This guy, Tex Meyer, came in and started buddying up to Dan, going to the same church, hanging out with Dan. The day of Dan's wife's funeral, I'm fired. OK, I don't go to the funeral. Wow. Um, they talked about during the funeral, 
her favorite things. She loved Scott and BR. She loved to listen to Scott and Billy Ray. She loved to interact with the show. I mean, they talked about the show. Dan is sitting at his wife's funeral in Texas there like he's his best friend. Like, dude, just back off a little bit, you right. know? You've barely even been here. But he he literally buddied up to Dan to say, Scott's a bad guy. And even though he was your spokesperson for all these years and your neighbor and he was at your wife's you know, deathbed, he's a bad guy. And this is what these guys, they came in like radio manipulators, like out of town radio manipulators. And, and this is the kind of shit they were doing to these guys. And did you guys wind up speaking on behalf of Bob Baker? Nope. Okay. Cause, Cause I don't remember who did, but I, I, somebody did, but it's, it's immaterial. The point was this guy texts Meyer. Here's my point. He was always a company guy. Mm-hmm. So fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. And fuck me. Yeah. He was a company guy. Okay. And listen, Mike Shepard, who I still work with, I will just say this in Mike's defense. Sure, you're good. Mike's a company guy too, Mm -hmm. okay? You got to remember that Mike and I, um, when I got fired, let's go back to those days. (laughs) Yeah. It was Friday. Uh, Or no, no, no. It was, it was. uh, You got got fired Monday. So it it was a Tuesday of the previous week. And I said, Mike was standing in my office and I said to Mike, I'm getting phone calls from the Union Tribune about what I said. And he said, we've got your back. Just don't say anything about it. Move on. Don't get quoted. We've got your back. Okay. Me, Pratty, Carlos, Billy Ray. We go down to mom, uh, to, uh, uh, what's the name? Uh, Mona Lisa's in, 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 uh, in Little, Little Italy. Italy. We were having a sandwich before we're going to the airport. I'm getting calls from this guy, Brent Schrotenberg or whatever his name is from the Union Tribune. I'm not talking to this guy. I'm not talking to this guy. Shepard, we've got your back. We come back from the Super Bowl. It's Monday. We've got the, the Channel 7 girl in the studio, the, the reporter, and she's, um, and she's asking us about the Super Bowl, and that's all it is is about the Super Bowl. And then at the very end, this girl reporter, I can't think, Megan Tavarzian, Tavarzian mm-hmm. and she's a real nice young lady. She said, hey, so Scott, by the way, I heard you got yourself uh, mixed up in a little bit of controversy. And it had nothing to do with the Super Bowl. I don't know why she brought it up. She certainly didn't know what it was because she admitted to me afterwards. She had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. It was just her producer saying it to her. And I say on the air, hey, look, we don't apologize for what we do. It's sports talk radio. It's locker room humor. Yeah. Okay? That, and this is pre-Trump grabbing right. pussies, you know? <laughs> right. And, and, <laughs> and so it's, it's locker room humor. We don't apologize. That is what they used as, that's why we fired you. We told you not to say anything. You embarrassed us. You hurt our business. You hurt our reputation. But in the end... This guy, Larry Patrick, thought my contract ended in 30 days. So this was his way out, and this was going to be his way to save a lot of money. Because, no offense, but but what Billy Ray and I were making combined, I'm guessing at the time you guys were unemployed, they probably lowballed you guys. Lowballed us the promises. If we did well, we'd get a huge raise August 1st. So they lowballed the hell out of you guys. So it's like we get rid of Scott's salary. Billy Ray quit. Then he said, you guys know that the next day, Billy Ray went back. Yeah. Billy Ray went back the next day and he said, hey, look, you know, I made a hasty decision. I'm really sorry. I'm back. You know what they told him? No, you're fired. We already hired Dave and Jeff. He said, wait a second. And you told me I have a A week. week. (laughs) Now you're telling me I can't go back to doing my job. And they're like, that's right. That's what we're telling you. So it it took that for Billy Ray to join me in the lawsuit. Yeah. You know, (sighs) and and I don't begrudge Billy Ray at all for doing that. No, because because, you know, he, he was under pressure with his wife. You know, what, why is he going to give up a, a nice paycheck 
because I who did he think he was going back to? Do you think he was Jeff going back with Darren Smith in the morning? <laughs> you asshole! <laughs> <laughs> I would have, man. That's a, you know, it's a crazy time, 2012. Yeah, and and what happened to you guys, and 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 how set up for failure you guys oh, were. Hundred yeah. percent. You know, oh, we absolutely were. You know, what's funny is there's a guy as you said there are names in there that people might not recognize, but they'll recognize because you brought it up so much, and we did too. John Pratt was a no young shit. kid. And I'll tell you what amazed me about this guy, and I still think he's one of the top five smartest people I think I've ever met. He was so loyal to you, but loyal to us at the same time, which was very hard to do. Like, we knew how you were progressing through your lawsuit. He shared information knowing that we weren't going to share back and get you in trouble or ruin your chances because we're rooting for you. You know, we we thought you were sandbagged. But he was doing 100% best job he could for us, and he was doing 100% best job for you. And for a kid 22 years old to be that professional and that smart – I can't say enough Dude, good things about that guy. You, you guys should have seen the day that he. So we 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 didn't go to court. We went to a mediator. Yeah. And um, we thought this was going to be quick and easy. Mm-hmm. And the people from Vieja said, "Fuck you. We're not mediating shit. Let's go to uh, not a trial, but a mediation settlement." Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're in like a full week's worth of like at this trial, and we have this female judge, and they thought that they were going to um, have this female judge who was going to be disgusted. How dare this Scott Kaplan call this woman a Sasquatch? What an asshole he is. And they were going to rule against me. Well, my attorney said, no, no, no. I know this judge. And she's a contract judge. This Mm -hmm. is about the contract. It's not about whether or not she cares what you said. She may be disgusted by it, but she only cares about the law. And I'll never forget this lawyer um, from, from the 1090 side who I looked at him as such a rival that I planned on doing nothing but fucking with him. I planned on making sure that he knew that even though he thought he was so smart because he was the lawyer, that I was going to outsmart him by listening as a, as a, as a talk radio professional. Right. I was going to listen everything he said, and I was going to twist every word he said, and I was going to frustrate the fuck out of this guy. And I did. I mean, I made this guy's life in deposition in front of everybody. I mean, it, I made it just go round and round and round in circles and, and enjoyed every second of it. But John Pratt comes in, and Larry Patrick's there, and he they think he's an employee of the station. Mm-hmm. What they don't understand is he's a young kid who I've been bringing up since he's 16. He's right. part of my family. Right. And and he's already got on. He's going on to a new business. He right. fucking doesn't give a shit. And John Pratt sat in there as a station employee. And they said, John, do you think that it was proper for Scott at 6 o'clock in the morning? 6 o'clock. <laughs> this wasn't 8.30. Yeah. 6 o'clock yeah. in the morning. To, to be talking about a female analyst on television as a Sasquatch. And John says, well, you know, I thought it was really the perfect segment. You know, as a producer, I thought it was a perfect segment. I'll tell you why. It had music. It had callers. It had current events. It had, um, you know, audio help. It, it, to me, as a producer, this is John in front of Larry Patrick, who, who's the boss. He goes, to me, it was the perfect radio segment. <laughs> and so this is what he's saying to this yeah. judge. And so then we, we get deeper into the trial. And uh, my, my, my attorney says to Larry Patrick, he says, Larry, you, you say that Scott and Billy Ray weren't performing anyway, that, that their show wasn't doing well anyway. <laughs> That's what he said. He goes, he goes, well, they weren't doing well anyway. In fact, he even said, he goes, and, and the Chargers, the Chargers won't even put their general manager on their show because I'd been going after A.J. Smith oh, yeah. at this yeah. point. So 
so my my lawyer says, so so Mr. Patrick, the show wasn't doing well, is what you're saying. And Larry says, that's right. Show really wasn't performing well anyway. And uh, you you guys are making it seem like like we've taken something off the air that's so iconic. And and you know this this show wasn't even doing anything anyway. So. <laughs> So, so he, he'd, he'd gone from the facts of the case to like this emotional thing where he was being challenged. I kept saying to my lawyer, I know this guy. He's an egomaniac. You just keep poking him and he'll explode. So my lawyer brilliantly just kept doing it and poking him. And, and finally my lawyer said, so, so these guys weren't doing well, huh? And Larry goes, no. And he goes, so, so in the last quarter, mm-hmm. you have any idea if these guys got a ratings bonus? And Larry goes, I have no idea. And my, my agent goes, well, if I told you that they had both received um, a ratings bonus for being second in the market mm-hmm. in the quarter, would that, <laughs> would that be a surprise to you? And Larry goes, yes, that would be a surprise to me. And so so my, my, my lawyer goes, goes, okay, well, let's go back here the last five quarters. $15,000 wow. bonus, $10,000 bonus, $5,000. These guys have been bonused for being in the top five for whatever it was, six or eight straight quarters because yep. we were on fire at the time. Yeah. And this fucking guy has no idea. So, but the point was, he he was made to look like such a jerk. Yeah. And 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 <laughs> that 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 it was. I mean, we killed these guys in court. Just killed yeah. them. And they had to wind up paying all of our legal fees, and they had to you know wind up giving us a whole new contract. And you know, at that time, we were working for the Union Tribune at that yeah, point, which was kind of a, a whole other disaster in and of itself. Um, but you see, John Lynch mm-hmm. was like my greatest um, advocate. Sure. You know, he believed in me. Yeah. And and believe me, I'd given him a lot of heartache. Sure. At that point in our careers. But he still believed in me. Yeah. You know? Uh it's it's great because like I, I'm glad Dave brought up Pratt because you meet guys in this business that really are incredibly two dimensional. And that guy, I think Dave and I I know I did. Tell Kaplan we didn't fuck him. <laughs> Tell Kaplan we yeah, didn't we fuck him. But you know what the thing was, Scott? He was such a good fucking guy. Yeah. And I appreciate... And so was Carlos Montoya, I thought. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't know how you guys no, relationship with him, but... Carlos, Carlos, Kyle, Carl, uh, Carlos, to me, was more loyal to you. And I can't say I wouldn't have done what Carlos did. I did ask this question, I remember, about Carlos, because let's say the show started at 6 and ended at 10. He was in at 6, he was out at 10. And I said, did he used to do this for Scott and BR? And No. He was here early in the morning, and... He left late in the afternoon, so you could tell he wasn't all in, yeah. and, and that wasn't. By the way, when he got blown out, it wasn't us that pushed him no, out, yeah. but they saw that he wasn't giving the same effort to us that he gave to you. Whereas yeah. Pratt did give that same yeah. effort, but he had a different role as a guy who had been a producer. What I knew, what Carlos was, never asked you this. My guess would be on that show, Los Rand rode shotgun. You were a guy type A that ran that show and had a lot going, and probably said to Los, "Hey, man." Get me tomorrow. We're doing Rick Horo. Get me this guy. Get me this guy. And Lowe's closed the deal. But when it was Lowe's needed to negotiate the deal and find the deal and close it, he was out of his element and he struggled. But what what happened was he eventually moved on. He's doing great. Doing great. But we ended up with Bobby Woldridge, Mm -hmm. who was a young go-get guy and loved Pratt. But Pratt to me was the one guy that I will always be loyal to because Dave said it. It's the one time in a radio station where I fucking hated it every day. And and Pratt kept us sane and would share those stories. God, we laughed our ass off because oh, he would talk the mediation yeah. uh, and we knew all that shit. But at the end, he was like, dude, you're all right. 
And I'm like, I fucking hate it. I hate this shit. I hate it. Dave knows I hate it. He sure did. But uh, as a young kid like that, that's a lot thrown on you. It's it's hard, but you know, I, I and it's just I try and tell my kids a lot too because you know they're they're you know how it is like when your kids are know it alls right and, and they're young and they don't really know jack shit, but they don't yeah. know they don't know jack shit. Every day, still to this day, we are all. I know me personally more so than ever in my life. We are learning every single day. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and the, what you're talking about, you know, the desire to want to walk out. Screw you guys. This just doesn't feel right. Yeah. You know, you want to walk out, but why don't you walk out? Because yeah. because in the end, we are all. This kind of gets us back to where we started, but we are all. Anybody who has a job, yeah, who especially who doesn't necessarily like their job, but who can't get out of their job, they're stuck because yeah. of the paycheck. Yeah, and 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 the risk that comes with giving it up. If you have a paycheck and and it takes you to the next paycheck, yeah, and all of a sudden you stop getting it, you better freaking be able to figure out what to do. And most people, it doesn't matter if you're in radio or any other industry. Most people are slaves to that paycheck. And that's the unfortunate reality that that too many of us find ourselves in. We all want to be able to say, fuck you. We all yeah. want to be able to have the principles to say this doesn't feel right. But we're all still, unless we become our own business people, unless we yeah. become our own self-sustaining you know, business people. You know, I, I, I always think of Mark Cuban who said that his goal was not to be a billionaire per se. His mm -hmm. goal was just to have freedom. His yeah. goal was not to necessarily own the Dallas Mavericks. It was just to be free. You know, it was to be able to do whatever he wanted to do. And that's how he created his life. We all wanted to be on the radio so yeah. goddamn bad. Right. You know, that that we we concentrated on let's know more. Let's be able to be funny. Let's yeah. uh be opinionated. Let's stir shit, whatever it is. We, we, we wanted to be good on, on radio. And now all these years later, the, the industry has changed so, so dramatically, you know, and, and it's, um, it's, it's a hard spot to be in the spot you were talking about. But I uh, did but when it came down, when push came to shove and they said, you have to work with saw. That was the end of it. I couldn't do it, Scott. I couldn't do it because I, I didn't believe in the guy across the table from me. And by the way, that's a hard thing to say. Because my first experience in a radio station at 690, I drove a motorcycle from Cardiff to Pack Highway. Lee was waiting outside the building for me and let me go sit in and watch him do his show. And when I got a board op job, I called him. When I got a producer job, I called him. When I got a weekend job, I called him to thank him for the, the, the hospitality that he showed me. But at the end... When we would finish a show and a guy that all of us looked up to that came out of Wolfman Jack and did unbelievable things in this business, when he would come in and say, man, you know, Josh and Sherrod are pretty shitty. That to me was, I was like, dude, who are you? Stop. Be a team. Boy, you know, this guy's pretty shit. This guy's pretty shitty. Hey, what are we doing? Shit. I just said at the end, I got to be true to myself. And you know, Scott, I don't know if... Uh, if I has, if I didn't have the self doubt in myself because I felt like I let you and Billy Ray down, I don't know that I quit. I think I'm like, all right, I'll figure out a way to make it work. And I would have regretted it immediately. But I think truly having never really talked about it, I wasn't going to make the same mistake twice. And I said, I didn't do what I should have done the first time 
But I know this time I'm not going to do it. And my wife's Persian and attorney, like I said, our kids are four. But here's the crazy thing to wrap that up. I quit on a Friday. And I always liked being the dad to pick the kids up from school. I never wanted to be the dad to drop them off because I felt like a fucking loser. One week after my last day at 1090 was Sandy Hook. And my sons were in kindergarten. And I said, you know what? Shut the fuck up. You know, you had a pretty good run in radio. Shut the fuck up. You have two little boys that are in kindergarten the same age as those kids at Sandy Hook. And I get to pick them up. I hung out with them all day today. And just like that, I was like, fuck it. We'll figure out something else. And it worked out. But but that's why. Because really, kind of bringing it full circle, I felt like two guys. That, and I didn't know you nearly as well as we know each other today. But I absolutely didn't know you as well as I knew Lee. And Lee was, I, I think Lee was bummed that I said no. But um, but I said to myself and I said to my wife, I can't fucking do that. It's just not who I was raised to be. And I walked and it worked out. We ended up at that horse shit 1360 <laughs> for another two and a half years. You guys ever, uh, you guys ever hear of a guy named Ray Dalio? That name sound familiar? Something. Writer? He, he's a, um, so I'm not going to profess to be an expert on the guy, but I went to a few friends of mine's houses. This was a couple months ago. They're successful people. And I noticed two different guys who I really respect had this guy Ray Dalio's book on their on their table. Yeah. And I went, well, if that guy has Dalio's book and this guy has Dalio's book, what the hell is this Dalio thing all about? So I Googled this guy, Ray Dalio, and it turns out he's a famous investor, hedge fund guy, yeah. and he's a billionaire and everything else. Well, he um, wrote this book called Principles. And it's, you know, he's an older guy, so he's kind of passing on wisdom of all the shit he's learned, and, and these are his principles. You know, your principles were are today. Your principles mm -hmm. are today. I'm not going to get myself in that situation again. I'm going to be true to myself. You know what I mean? Correct. And if it feels uncomfortable, then I'm getting out of it. Um, but back then, your principles weren't that. Your principles were, I need a job. and I need, Sure. I need. So this guy, Ray Dalio, took this book and condensed it to 30 minutes. I, I didn't read the book. But in the 30 minutes, there there are eight, like, three-minute videos it takes 30 minutes total in in 30 minutes this guy can teach you so much about having principles mm -hmm. and and fucking up and getting back up and mm -hmm. making all of that part of the journey you know um it's kind of like you talk about the last straw you know saw is the last you know, th that was the last straw you know you yeah. finally had to take a stand you probably have instances like that in your everyday life anyway. Sure. You know, like for me, I can just tell you, you know, I've talked about this a little bit. I, I actually like to talk about it a lot more because I think it's a very relatable topic, but it's not an appropriate time. And given that my kids are still young, I'm not talking about it too much. But but divorce, mm -hmm. you know, divorce for me, I, I lived in a marriage for years where it was my guilt and my fear that were keeping me in the marriage. Mm -hmm. Guilty that I'm... I'm going to leave, you know, my family's not going to be fully together and fearful of money and, you know, just perception. And I don't come from any divorce. My parents aren't divorced. My mm -hmm. wife's parents aren't divorced. Our grandparents were all married till they died, et cetera, et cetera. So no divorce, divorce failure. Like that's my mindset, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, I'm literally just learning now, like how to get over this shit. Yeah. And, and it's not like being heartbroken. It, I don't mean to sound cold, but how do you get over what you think? of as your whole life is failure mm -hmm. success is you get married and you die together yeah you know failure at least the way i looked at it is you couldn't keep your family together but finally you reach a point whether it's 
Hacksaw, we want you to partner with Hacksaw and you fuck over your partner of all these years. Yeah. Or, or you know, I've reached the, the, the boiling point. I can no longer be married. I mean, there, there are just those moments where you just, those are defining principle making moments. What's your, com- uh, what's your, if you don't want to get into it, I get it. But my sons have an opportunity that may work out. My sons are 10 now. They may have an opportunity to do a little thing at the All-Star Game, the NBA All-Star Game. So I'd been with them all day today, and I dropped them off, and their mom said to me, she said, uh, she said, Jack said, hey, Mom, you know, with this thing that Dad's doing for us, are you excited about going to the All-Star Game? And my wife said, you know, that's with you and your dad. Jack, I'm not going. And I said to her, I said, look, I'm just telling you it's been a weird year. But I said, I'm doing everything in my power to make sure you're there. I said, I never want to be a guy who says, yeah, our sons are going to be part of something, and I don't want you there. I said, not only do I want you there, I want you there right next to me so we can enjoy it together. I said, now, if you're married to fucking Hakeem Olajuwon, it's going to be a little <laughs> uncomfortable. But I said, I said, that's who I want to be to them. That's the guy I want to be to them. My life right now is trying to be a guy. It's about my legacy to them. It's not about anything I did on the radio. And it was cool. And I'm just curious because I talked to different people that are going through it. As far as you want to go or as, or as short as you want to go. What's the relationship like now? It's not good right now. I wish yeah. it was. I wish it, I really do. I wish it was, you know. And married to somebody for 17 years. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not just married to them, you know. It's like your family. Right. And, and you know, her parents, my parents, her sister, you know, nieces, nephews, her brother, the, his kids. My sister, her child, uh, my cousins. I mean, you're part of a family. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're not anymore. Yeah. And, you know, like my my daughter who uh, just, you know, last year, last summer, she um, got done with elementary school. So, you know, they have these promotions, right? Yeah, sure. I hadn't seen my in-laws in in who knows how long. Hadn't spoken to them in well over a year. My father-in-law came kind of slithering by me. He had no choice but to stop. And, you know, I mean, he could have just ignored me, but he shook my hand and I tried to be, you know, a mensch. I tried to be like a, yeah. a gentleman, a nice guy, but super uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I mean, really uncomfortable. And and I feel terrible for my kids because my kids, um, look, <laughs> we're not the first family to break up. Sure. And, and my kids are not the first victims of divorce. Um, but we we were very much a close, tight-knit yeah six people and you know unfortunately uh, you know people just change Mm -hmm. you know i i (laughs) i've seen my story i've seen it happen a million times before before my story and you know if i said it to you if whatever i would say to you i'm sure my wife would have the exact opposite perspective in fact not only am i sure (laughs) i want i could i could tell you what she would say (laughs) about what an asshole i am yeah (laughs) um but it's just it's just sad and it's unfortunate because you know then then the the next part of it is look you you would like to be able to handle this stuff like business yeah you know this is because now it's just business mm-hmm. and but unfortunately when you're dealing with emotion and you're dealing with um, hurt feelings and you know I've talked a little bit about this on the radio when you're talking about mental health related mm-hmm. issues that's why I'm so much more sensitive I mean I used to have this terrible attitude you know like. Um, there's a guy jumping, uh, threatening to jump off the Coronado Bridge, and there's traffic backed up for hours. I'm like, you asshole. I'm like, well, everybody has to be inconvenienced because you yeah. want to kill yourself? Go shoot yourself. Don't inconvenience these thousands of people. And it's a very insensitive mm-hmm. thing to say um, because now I understand mm-hmm. what mental health and what um, 
addiction and rehab and um and i've seen now what that stuff can do to a family to children um and so you know it's been rough i mean i gotta say you know i don't talk about the stuff on the radio um because not because i don't think because i think i think believe it or not i think it's very relatable stuff Mm -hmm. but um you know kids my my son listens to the radio show um you know i friends listen uh i just I just don't want to talk about it per se there. Um, but it's hard. I mean, it is real and nobody knows, nobody knows what you're going through no. in, in your real life, you know? But when, uh, I did on this show, I talked about the day, the first time I had to drop my 10 year old son off when I moved out of the house Yeah, I heard it, and I said to him, yeah. And, uh, he doesn't cry. And when he bent over at the waist, Scott, I was done. Yeah, I, know. I was fucking done. Yep. man. But what, got me through that was coming in here. Dave had the courage to talk about his father's suicide. And if Dave didn't have the courage to talk about his dad's suicide, I don't know if I have, I, if I would have been able to do it. But what I've said to so many people was, it's very funny. Uh, we were at an Alzheimer's walk yesterday and we have established a friendship, which my ex-wife finds incredibly funny with the porn star, Lisa Ann. But Lisa Ann's grandmother died from Alzheimer's. We raised some money for charity. And we were walking at this event yesterday, and I meet another girl on her team named Missy Martinez, who's another adult film star who's tried suicide four times. And we were talking about depression and Lexapro and everything else. And what I said to her was, um, I said, I was incredibly fortunate because I came in here and just talked to Dave. But it got recorded and it went out. And the next day, and you'll laugh at this, because you have people in that audience, social media, that hit you up all the time. And you're like, this guy is the biggest fucking asshole. I had more guys like that that talked about being from a broken home and the relationship with their father and depression and said, just keep fighting, man. We're here. Here's my individual number. It was unbelievable. And when we have all been lucky enough to have a forum where you go in and you think Dean Spanos or A.J. Smith or... Anything else is important, but when it was real and I was as broken as I've ever been in my life and the people that have supported this show for 20 years got me out of it, I can, I'll be indebted to them forever because I know where I was then and I know where I am now. And what I said to my son yesterday as we're driving is I said, you know, I have a bottle of Lexapro in my car, uh, but I haven't taken one in six weeks. And I said, because I feel I feel good. I feel energized about doing things like Alzheimer's and looking for other things to do. But I also said, but I know that there are other people there that don't have the forum that I've had to be lucky about. So I would just encourage you on your podcast, if you ever want to come here, you know your family, you're as welcome. But there's somebody that you are going to talk to that is going to say, holy fuck, I'm not broken because if Scott's fighting it and he's doing it, then I can do it too. And you know all that. I'm yeah, not I telling mean, you anything you don't no, know. It, but it's, it's true. I mean, it, it, the, you know, it always is interesting to hear that other people are going through the same stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and that, um, you know, that people have similar problems. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it, listen, divorce is hard. It, it, yeah. just, it just is. I never, I never, never, never expected to be getting divorced. Right. Me either. You know, I didn't expect to be getting divorced. I didn't expect my life to turn out like this. I'm not complaining about it. You know, it's kind of, this will, you know, I don't mean to sound so corny, but, you know, today I was driving and I was driving from La Quinta 
yeah. back here to San Diego. I, my, my best friend from high school is a guy who lives in Beverly Hills. And when we grew up, he grew up very poor. I grew up very middle class, lower mm-hmm. middle class. But, but to where he grew up, I was sort of rich compared to him yeah you know like he didn't have a car i had a chevette you know and and, and, and so to him it was a rolls royce <laughs> yeah you know sure. and so um so but but it turns out he grew up and and hit it huge i mean nice. hit it just massively huge and um you know I, I was with him this weekend and we don't get to spend as much time together as we normally do although we pretty much talk daily because it's like a brother relationship sure. it's, you know if you have one friend in your life mm-hmm that you've had your whole life. This guy's my friend, my best friend since we're 13. Yeah. You know, I feel very lucky. So anyway, so I went out to his house in La Quinta. He's got this insane house in this, in this complex where Tiger Woods, or no, excuse me, Phil Mickelson lives here and Tom Brady lives over here and Wayne Gretzky lives over here and I played golf with, with Elway last week and I'm playing golf with Dustin Johnson next week and, and he's not a famous guy. I mean, he's famous in his world, but, sure. but, he's, but he, he struck it just huge. And we spent a ton of time together this weekend, which we don't normally get to do. And for me, that helps me create a lot of clarity just because mm-hmm. I, I know who I'm talking to is somebody that I can trust intimately right. with these details. But on my way back today, I was listening to a podcast um, of a guy. Do you guys does any, do you guys ever listen to any motivational talks? I, I don't mean like, get out there and do it, rah, rah, rah. Yeah. I don't mean like that. I mean, just sometimes some people just are able to to put things in a way that can be very clarifying. I recently uh, was introduced to a guy, um, I, I haven't met him personally, but just online, um, a guy named Gary Varnachuk. Do you guys know who that is? No. Yeah, they call him Gary V. And he's a young guy who's, who, who um, his, his father had a small wine business. And then the internet popped up. And then this guy, Gary, was able to take their small company business, their small family business, and turn it into a massive, huge wine business all wow. by YouTube wow. videos and selling on the internet and email marketing and Google ads. And he was just way ahead of his time. And he's a young guy. He's in his mid-40s. And I was listening to him today, just this, this podcast that he did, because I was in my car driving mm-hmm. and my radio wasn't getting anything. Yeah. And I'm, I'm driving through the desert. And for some reason, this guy's come onto my radar and I'm listening to him. And he, and he said something today that was so clarifying for me. Nobody's dying. I mean, right. in other words, I'm getting divorced, you know, and it sucks. Right. And, and it's, it's just a drain financially, emotionally. You know, just in every way, it's it, there's problems with my kids that that would not. They are the byproduct of of divorce. There, I've I've other relationships have been damaged or destroyed, but it's all a byproduct of the divorce. Everything started with the divorce. And he said, he goes, look, is your child dying? Is your is your child dying of cancer? Did your father just commit suicide? Sorry, yeah, no I, I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. like that's real. Yeah. Your yeah. father committing suicide yeah. is a real problem. My buddy who got his car stolen this past weekend with his wallet and his passport and his phone, that's yeah. a massive inconvenience, but it's not your father killing himself. Correct. Because your father killing himself is the absolute worst, worst, worst thing ever. So everything else yeah. is not the worst thing ever. Yeah, I try to go through life thinking, my sister said this to me, is... You know, I, I, I could get a hot temper at times, and so she says, "Look at it this way: a year from right now, are you going to be upset about this exact situation?" Such a great and if the answer is no, then let it go. Why well, was the same same thing? You know, like is this problem she today? Her, shut the fuck up! You yeah, shut bitch. the fuck up! Holy <laughs> <laughs> c word! You know, is your whatever your problem is today? Right. What is it going to be your problem a year from now? Yeah. You know, and that's and that's, that's great, man. You know, that's the thing. I I have I'm a. It's funny. 
Uh, I would have friends of mine, especially when I first got separated. Are you okay? Right. Are you okay? And and here's the thing, you have Lexapro. Yeah. Okay. See, to me, Lexapro is poison. Yeah. I would never take any of those those pills, synthetic bullshit drugs. Yeah. You know, I had a friend of mine. He he got divorced. He was so upset. He loved his wife to death, and he was just heartbroken. And she broke it off. And he was taking antidepressants. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is fucking wrong with you? Right. He's like, you don't understand this dark depression right. that I'm living in. I'm like, I don't. You're right. Because I'm I'm a happy person. Yeah. Even even when I'm when I'm upset and even when there's crazy shit and there's chaos and all I'm I'm just a generally happy person. Right. So so the the notion of using drugs to try and stabilize myself oh, yeah. to make me happier, it it doesn't even register. And I've seen, by the way, lots of people get 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 addicted to drugs, um, pres- prescription pills, and and then think that the, their life is I'm going to be on this shit for the rest of my life. But I've seen people use other things, um, working out, uh, training for stuff, um, setting goals, whatever it is, to get themselves off of that stuff. Yeah, you know, and and they've they've filled, you know, their depressive part of their life with something else that's that's giving them satisfaction yeah. I, i'm not saying i'm the answer man i'm not I, I don't mean to say it like that no but i just w- what prescription pills have done to my life now mm-hmm. not because I, I wasn't taking them yeah but what those pills and the prescriptions and the and the um the overdosing and dude what, i've seen that shit and it, it just it scares me what happened you know? for me was it was such a shock to my system and realizing you talk about your buddy, my buddy, uh, my wife's what started everything is my wife had that best friend, uh, like you talked about since 13 and she took care of our kids every day. It allowed us a freedom to go do different things because she adored our kids. And at the age of 47, she passed away in her sleep unexpectedly. We had no idea. Our, our world was turned upside down. Whoa. We go to her funeral and Literally two days after this woman's funeral, Scott, my best friend that I had known, first kid I met when I moved to San Diego, guy who loved me if I worked at the Glidden Paint store or on the radio, I'm sure your buddy's the same way, diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer and was gone two months later. And that's what started us on the path because neither one of us had experienced loss and we grew apart and that was that. But when I moved out and I, everything had kind of come to the head, the Lexapro for me worked. But what happened was they had me on five milligrams a day because when I didn't take it, there was an anger side of me that I didn't like. And God bless my the mother of my kids because she got the brunt of it one night on the phone. And when I talked to her the next day, she was cool. And I apologized. And she goes, you didn't take your meds. And I go, no, I didn't. But then what they did was they upped it. They upped it from 5 to 10. And when I went from 5 to 10, it completely just threw me, uh, as this girl Missy said yesterday, she said, you feel like you're in a vortex where everything is kind of like the matrix. And I said, that's exactly what it was, to the point that 10 days before our charity event, I was ready to park my car and go to Mexico and leave and take a thousand bucks out of the bank and just leave. And I was very aware of my relationship with my kids. I was very aware of my relationship with Dave. I knew I had a charity event coming up in 10 days. I had 10,000 numbers in my phone, including yours and Dave's and everybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was going to take a thousand bucks and just leave. What got me out of it was not Lexapro. 
Of all things, I went to the Target on Sports Arena Boulevard at 11.30 on a Thursday night and got the best of the Rolling Stones. And slowly I worked my way through that CD until Dave plays Gimme Shelter every night. And Gimme Shelter literally got me out of it. And at that point, I said, okay, I'm going to start tapering off of this drug because I don't think it's helping me. Only for me. Like you said, Scott, I've never been suicidal. I explained that to her yesterday. I would never talk about that out of respect for people that have gotten to that level. Um, But that's just my story, and I'm happy to share it. I have nothing to hide. But it's just, it's scary, man. It's scary when you go through there, and it's scary like you said. But what I found and why you said earlier to, to kind of wrap it up, yeah, I can't go back on the radio because I can't say, you know, last night, was a crazy night. At 11.30, I was ready to go to Mexico. And I'll tell you the rest next, but here's Mark Zegan. <laughs> you, but, but, you know, but you know what? It's, it gets back, though, to, to what David said earlier. You know, how sustainable are three sports radio stations in this right. town? You know, to me, this is, this is what I'm getting at. You know, what you're talking about right there, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is a thousand times more compelling than whether or not Luis Urias is going to be the Padres' second baseman. Yeah. There, there's, a, there's a time and a place to have that discussion. Mm-hmm. People know you guys uh, or expect from guys like us that when mm-hmm. they come to 1090 or they come to another sports radio station, it says sports radio. Talk to me about sports. But people who listen to that obviously have lives. Yeah. And, and if you're talking about Lexapro and possibly taking off because you're, you're, you're having some problems, yeah. that's relatable stuff because everybody thinks you're rich and famous because you're on the radio. Right. Well, first of all, you're not famous. You're sort of locally visible. Right. And nobody, at least in our business, I mean, maybe, maybe the Dave Rickard types that have, you know, can make the seven figures. Sure. You're not rich either. You know, you, you, most people, um, well, listen, I, I don't want to speak for most people. I, what I'm saying is you, you're not nearly... Uh, people who listen think yeah. you're rich and famous, and real life is real We're not life. living with your buddy in La Quinta. No. Correct. And and so, you know, it, it's just that... What you're talking about, to me, is compelling. Mm-hmm. You know, Darren teases me a lot on the radio because I mentioned I have four kids. And he goes, oh, really? You have four kids? I didn't know that. And it's just an ongoing joke because yeah. he doesn't have any kids. Right. So I, I say, oh, my God, well, it must be so great. You can travel and your wife and you probably fucking everything else. <laughs> and, 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 and here I've got four kids, which, you know, it just pro- yeah. I can't travel. And that's why yeah. I don't fucking. It's probably yeah. why I'm getting divorced, you yeah. know. <laughs> and so, so um, but that is the stuff that connects people. Yeah. No one ever comes up to me and goes, hey, um, I heard what you said about the Padres farm system and whether or not this plan is going to work. They come up to me and they say, hey, um, uh, I remember that story you told last week about the guy who did this and did that. And they, they don't remember the sports analysis yeah. or the opinion no. or the takes or the they don't remember that stuff. They remember the real stuff, the personal stuff, the stuff that connects you to them yeah. as a human being. And that's. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's that to me is is way more compelling. You, you know, I remember uh, I think it was Colin Coward said it. He goes, "They don't pay me to be right; they pay me to have an opinion." And then doing this for twenty years and loving every minute of doing the show, what clicked in for me was we're into our last year at thirteen sixty in uh, twenty sixteen, and you know, obviously I know about the story about uh, the person that takes care of their kids passes away. All of a sudden, I've seen her for years at the kids' birthday parties. Um, I know Jeff, as soon as the show ends, is immediately in the car and he's driving an hour 
to go see his buddy, getting every last minute he can, coming home at 11.30 at night. We have a boss who wants us to write a template out who's watching to see if we're on it. So I'm waiting for Jeff to get home. Now he has to work on that thing till whatever time we're doing after 12. Mm-hmm. And then we're going back. I got a kid who's in high school who's now attempted suicide, who slid his wrist, who's in the hospital. I can't tell anybody. I, I don't know if my younger son's going to make it. I know his friend's about to die. I don't know what's going to happen to him. And I remember saying to Jeff, you know what sucks about this fucking job? Plus, we have to talk about the goddamn charters. Are they going to move or not? Mm-hmm. Every Stadium day. We're, we're like, dude, why are we wasting our time with this shit? Because we're preaching in the choir. Everyone who's listening to us already wants them to stay. Right. <laughs> we're wasting our fucking time, but you're running the show into the ground. I said, the hardest thing about this job is you can never have a bad day. On the air, you have to fake it that, hey, I'm having the greatest day because nobody wants to hear how shitty your day is as they're driving into work. And we wouldn't have a boss at the time that would have let us share those stories. And I went, honestly, I wasn't ready to share my son's story. I only shared my son's story when he said, share my story because it might help somebody. Otherwise, I would have kept it quiet. But it was, we went through the worst time ever mm-hmm. and going, both of us at the same time were battling different things and going, God, man, life could not get any worse than it is right fucking now for both of us. You know, and then keeping our job was the least of our concerns. Hell, talking about Jeff saying how he wanted to get out of there. I think from February on till August, every day Jeff says, I'm done. I just got to fucking leave here. You tell Ernie, you tell Herm, you tell me, I got to get the fuck out of here. None of this is important right now. You know, it was tough. All right, hang on. We've been here way too long. We're getting ready to wrap this up. I do want to ask Scott a question, though. Well, I got, okay, Scott, this, I'm going to let you go on this. But if I didn't bring this up, and I swear to God, we don't bring a note. Scott will tell you, there's no note. We used to, Dave mentioned, template, all this shit in front of us. We're just talking. If I would have let you walk out of here without asking about Dan Cilio, people would (laughs) have fucking killed me. We're going to lighten this up a lot. It's been pretty serious. This, I, I don't know him. I've never met him. He talks all kinds of shit. But when his shit was going on on Twitter this year, when he first moved and everything was going to happen, then he's blocking everybody, and then he's got a burner account. Have you ever in your life, you've you've aggravated a lot of people. Congratulations on that. (laughs) Do you feel like you've ever been in a guy's head? At the level, because Dave and I were sitting there watching it, and we said, thank God we're on the right side of this, because you and Darren and others were nice enough to keep us in the loop. Have you ever in your life been in a dude's head like you were in that guy's head? So here's the thing. You know, we're talking about, you guys were going through real stuff in your lives, right? right? You know, real stuff, divorce death of your friend, suicide, attempted suicide. I mean, like real, real stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't know Dan Cilio outside of work. Okay. And I never really knew him that well inside of work. And um, very limited external interaction with the guy. But I wanted to be a supportive teammate. Mm-hmm. One thing I could say about Dan is, is as much as he sounds like a meathead all the time and is always screwing up words because he's trying to sound smarter than he is, <laughs> that is part of, in some ways, I suppose you might consider that his charm. Sure. I always found it to be like he sounds stupid, you know, and, and but but in a defensive lineman sort of meathead kind of stupid way. Yeah. And so, um, but I respected him because you know what? It takes a lot to do a solo show like that. And, you know, this guy's getting off the air and he's humping to, you know, get guests. And, again, they're, they're guests from 25 years ago. He's really <laughs> yeah. not a... You know, it's li- a lot like Hacksaw. Sure. You know, Hacksaw did not want to 
make adjustments. This is the way it's done. Dan is the same way. This is the way it's done. This is the way I've always done it. That's why Joe Theismann's coming on there. I love Joe Theismann. Mm -hmm. I would never put Joe Theismann on the air again because I've heard Dan do it. Mm -hmm. Whatever Dan does, I'll do the opposite because I know that what he's doing is not contemporary. You know, I was insulted when he left because you have to understand when he came to 1090, he was in a desperate situation. Mm -hmm. He had been fired in Tampa for comments that were construed as racist. You can decide on your own. He was fired in Miami a couple of different times for comments that were construed as sexist. Again, you decide for yourself. Dan was in big trouble in his career. He, he, he had, this was it. This was going to be his last chance to dance. So 1090 hired him because the Hacksaw J.D. Hayworth disaster <laughs> yeah. was going on. Sorry. And I don't know yeah, all that is the... your fault. I don't it know is all, my fault. Right, but, but I don't know all the inner working details. But if I were just playing, you know, analysts from the outside looking in, Hayworth's agent and Cilio's agent were the same guy. Mm -hmm. 1090 wanted to get rid of uh, Hayworth. Um, that wasn't going to sit well. I think that, you know, there, a deal was made. You know, we'll, let's get rid of Hayworth, but we'll take Cilio. Yeah. So... Cilio, if nothing else, has a, has a real resume. We'll give him that. He comes to 1090. He's on his best behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to be here. I want to work with you guys. Thank you, Scott, for being supportive of me. And, 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 and he's being on his best behavior. And I knew it was not going to take long. But after about a year, year and change, because of Darren's success and because of our success, Dan was able to jump on the bandwagon. And his numbers went they they were better they mm -hmm. were they were he was a new fresh voice and and he was different and his numbers came up and and he got very full of himself real fast and turned into a dick real fast he he was um not nearly the contrite remorseful no. thankful grateful appreciative person that he was when he walked in now he's you know fighting with everybody no. you know and and it took daily maintenance at 1090 to keep him under wraps. They didn't let him have his own Twitter account because mm -hmm. the guy would hang himself. So when he left, I was very irritated. Not because he left. Because getting rid of him was the best thing that ever happened to us. People don't like him. Mm -hmm. Advertisers don't like him. Um, he does have a bad reputation. He definitely overvalues who he is, particularly in this market. And my best guess is, is that him sucking up to Mike D for all these years is what get got him over to, to that other radio station. But it was insulting. We rehabbed his career. Absolutely. We brought him in. We accepted him. We advocated for him. We liked him. We put him on the air over and over again. We created a team atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Billy Ray and I went and did the morning show with him one morning because it was like... I don't remember exactly what the date was, but we, maybe it was April Fool's. We were making a big joke. We were coming back the morning. We, we did things to try and help him get ingratiated with the audience. We rehabbed his career. And I say we, he might be listening to this going, what are you talking about? I did all this work. Yes, you did. Mm -hmm. You did all this work. You, your wife, you did all this work. You booked your guests. You, you showed up every day. You put on the best show you could put on. You did what you could do. But for us to have rehabbed you, to have given you that that platform, and for you to say, screw you guys. You know, my first instinct was, I really appreciate your hustle, and you out-hustled everybody else because 
guys like me and Darren, we don't seem to be going anywhere. I appreciate your hustle. But when you start talking shit, you know, and you start overestimating who you are, and then you start disrespecting those who really help rebuild your career, fuck you. Yeah. You know? And, and you know, listen, I don't want to see anybody lose their job. Sure. I don't want to see anybody's family get impacted and so on. But you see, the question of earlier of who's nipping at your bud and who's, who's still yeah. motivating you, dude, all of a sudden I was energized to go, we must destroy him. <laughs> and I don't mean destroy him as in, you know, make up nasty things and, 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 you know, get him fired. I just meant we need to make him irrelevant. And it's, it's very funny you mention it because can I ask you guys, have, when was the last time you've heard him? No, I haven't. And it's really funny because I went back and forth because he is irrelevant. And, but the only thing that, why I wanted to bring him up was to be outside of the game and just watching it. And we talked about it a lot on the podcast. I loved it. I loved it because it felt it old fun. school yes. Stern radio when Stern would go in megaphone style. And what was really funny, Scott, was he was a bully who got this shit beat out of him. He he picked a fight that he wasn't going to win with two guys that were already able to win it, but what he where he overestimated himself was he forgot about the strength of the supporters for your show and Darren's show. And they fucking snuffed him out. And then he blocked yeah. everybody yeah. and he became nobody. And not only did he block everybody, but but blocking people when Twitter is your tool to reach people <laughs> right. seems stupid. But then he kept making he kept making mistake after mistake. Like at one point he bought a whole bunch of followers. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden he's, he's one day he had twelve thousand followers, the next day he had thirty six thousand followers. Yeah. I mean he just did things that made him look stupid all the time. And then blowing through producers, and yeah. then you guys, I've listened to your podcast a million times where you guys have talked about insiders in the intercom building that think he's creepy and women that are uncomfortable. Oh, very much so. I mean, it, it it's really, I I don't want to see the guy lose his job and, and be down and out and not have anything. Sure. But there is something that seems very off with the dude, Yeah. you know? Um, and, and I don't know exactly what it is. I mean, he's always been kind of a strange guy in the industry. And um, I don't know. He, like, <laughs> I feel like Dan Cilio is, for old school sports radio people, you know who I think he is? I think he's the fabulous sports babe. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you remember yeah, her? Of course. John, neither, neither fabulous nor a babe. That's what yeah. John Maffey, the North County Times, who we could probably do two other shows about, getting quoted sports media. And I know John Maffey did not write the fucking headline. He's not this creative. But Maffey wrote a column about the fabulous sports babe, and the headline was, TV proves fabulous sports babe is neither. Ooh. And you were like, God damn, headline guy. <laughs> yeah. Down, yeah. angry guy. But that's it. Uh, Dave, give him one more. We'll let him get two, the hell out of here. Two things I want to ask you, because I'll tell you my favorite part. Is there one thing in your radio career where you go, that was my favorite thing I did? Or something that makes you laugh or something you're proud of? Um, so, you know, um, when I, when I first started getting into radio, like when I, when I, I'd, I'd worked in a radio station in Miami and I couldn't get them to put me on the air full time. Mm -hmm. And when I took a risk and I, um, I left QAM in Miami and mm -hmm. I went to sportsline.com, which back then was called sportsonusa.com. Yeah. And they were going to, at the time, build the first sports talk radio station on the internet. Mm. And so this is in the mid-90s. And I, I took a risk and said, you know what? Let's leave radio 
and go try something completely different. And when we went on the radio, on the internet, we could see how many people were listening and where they were. So we'd say nice. to them, we'd say, hey, we want to say to that kid who's uh, listening <laughs> at Oklahoma State University, hey, we're glad you're listening. There are four people listening. You know, We took that little teeny tiny internet radio show and because we were fortunate to be in a good spot at, a, at an interesting time, we were able to take that little internet radio show and syndicate it onto terrestrial radio. Nice. But then what would happen, then, then I was able to, I say I, but I mean I was fortunate, I was able to discover interesting talent around me yeah. and build an ensemble back then, which by the way is exactly, I'm just doing the same thing all over yep. again right now. It's John Browner, it's Alex Padilla, it's Craig Elston, it's Burt Grossman. You know, it's, it's, it's a list of people to build an ensemble. And I can remember um, a Super Bowl in Atlanta, probably the first Super Bowl we'd ever done. It was me and my partner at the time, Sid Rosenberg, who's a relatively frequent sure. guest on my radio show now. And, and Sid and I, and if I ever sat here and told you guys just about that mayhem of my career, you guys would, you talk about a movie um, with like mobsters and beatings <laughs> and people showing up, beaten up and bloodied and, you know, et cetera. And um, <laughs> we took that show and we, we created, I say we, me and Sid, we created so much excitement and buzz on Radio Row. We were these little obnoxious internet radio guys who somehow were all of a sudden on Westwood One and syndicated. Yeah. And we would bring in all these, from Shaquille O'Neal to like a Tiger Woods to Joe Namath, anybody who had an affiliation with Sportsline back then. And we had these these relationships and we just blew them up. And it was it was such a great time to be young, um, in something new, right. take your first big risk in your career, um, cultivate something, watch it blossom. So I guess, you know, that's something that comes to mind yeah. is, you know, fulfilling something, you know, it, it, to start from ground zero and yeah. build something. I always tell my kids, there's nothing better than when you can surprise yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, my favorite thing that you, you did, and I told you this story before, I don't know if you remember, because I'm sure a lot of people come up to you and tell you the favorite thing you've done on the show. But I remember you were telling a story about being a football player at Pitt and your last game, you're at the Loja Bowl. And you guys didn't play well, and the coach comes up and starts screaming at you guys, going, what the fuck, you know? This is ridiculous. And you just yell out, Jesus Christ, coach, half of us have been smoking weed and drinking beer all week. What the fuck do you want? <laughs> when you, you didn't say, fuck, I'm to the radio, but I thought that was so damn funny, knowing that there are kids going, I'm not going to the NFL. Fuck it. I'm going to have a great week, yeah. you know? It was going to enjoy this. It's a totally true story. We, we, uh, my, my senior year of college, I was, I was going to my fifth year, and I was so excited for this year because my fourth year it was a big disaster, a huge disaster. And I'm going to make it up and I'm going to go to the NFL and I'm, I'm, you know, redemption. And I just was just wired that way. And I got sick in our training camp. And I'll never forget my father and my mother came from Florida to, uh, to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, famous for some flood that happened in the 1800s and in the middle of nowhere. And so my, my parents come to the training camp that day, and I'm young, I'm 21 years old, I'm a senior, and, and this is my, my last year, and I'm a captain and everything. And my father goes, what's wrong with you? I said, Dad, I don't know. Something is wrong. I'm sick as a dog. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm in this agonizing pain. And my father looks at me, and he said, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> your mother and I flew all the way up here from Florida. <laughs> this is your senior year. This is, this is the biggest week of training camp with all the alumni here. You've got this huge scrimmage this afternoon, and you're fucking sitting here sick? Are, you're kidding me. Don't worry, Dad. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to play, right? So, I mean, I am just hunched over. I'm in agonizing pain. 
back then, you know, teams, they had an orthopedic surgeon. Right. He was the only yeah. doctor there, you know? This guy has no idea what's wrong with me. I'm like, I don't know. It's like right here. It's like in my stomach. You know, I was just going to say appendix. Yeah. He goes, well, let me look at your knee. You know, so, <laughs> so, 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 so we, I go out to practice that afternoon, you know, and again, this is, you know, pit, pit football. You know, back then, it was even though now it's still the same. I mean, it's it's still big to the people sure. that follow it, and there were lots and lots of people there. And I was coming off of a really subpar junior season, and so I was I wanted to really take control of the competition in that scrimmage. Yeah. And I had a huge scrimmage. I came up really, really big. I still don't know exactly how. I guess the adrenaline got me through past the pain, and um, and that night I just I couldn't take it anymore. And they finally rushed me to an emergency room, and um, and and so. They took my appendix out. They had to drive me back to Pittsburgh. And literally, it was two weeks later. I, I didn't get out of the hospital for two weeks, you know, 40 pounds later, whatever it was. My senior year was shot. So, um, and, and by the way, not only was my senior year shot, but things were falling apart. We just were sucking. We were terrible. Yeah. You know, everything was going wrong. I remember we were out one day for practice. And I remember one of these kids said to me, he goes, because why are we practicing? He goes, if we're going to lose, what's the need to practice? You know, <laughs> I mean, we, we, we had just gotten to that point, you know? And, yeah. and, um, and so we, we go to Hawaii. It's our very last game. And, and for, for those of us that were seniors, this was it. This was the last game for us. And, um, and, and we got down there and we had come from Pittsburgh and this is now right. call it late November. It's freezing or, you know, and, and we're on the beach and this is kind of a, a reward trip, Yeah. but we didn't deserve it because yeah. our season sucked. We fell apart <laughs> and we go down there and dude, we tear it up. I mean, <laughs> we were a bunch of Pittsburgh dudes that what? were milky and white and fat and just sweaty. And we were smoking weed and drinking booze and going after hookers and doing anything we could do as college kids. And the first half of the game, we are kicking Hawaii's ass. We are yeah. killing them. And then I'll never forget the second half of the game, a fight breaks out. We, in my college career, over the course of five years, I, I will tell you, we must have had five or six legitimate bench clearing wow. fucking brawls wow. in wow. college. In go. college, <laughs> right? I mean, legit wow. bench clearing brawls. So, so, <laughs> so something happens in the game. I don't remember what. There's a bench clearing brawl on their side and now all of a sudden all these big Hawaiian motherfuckers come running over <laughs> oh, our side. Oh, right? shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> now, by the way, I thought it was cool to have a single bar. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Mark Mosley. <laughs> so, so I'll never forget. I can see it vividly to this exact moment. I'm standing right there with Curtis Martin. Oh, yeah. Hall of Famer, yeah. Curtis Martin. I go, Kurt, what are you going to do? He goes, Cap, I'm going to stand right here and watch this whole thing go down. I said, I'm going to hang with you, man. <laughs> and we sat there and watched these. And I like these big Samoan guys were looking at us like, come on. And we were like, no, we're just here, dude. We're, we're in uniform. We're cool. Cool. Game progresses. It's fourth quarter. I can never, I can see these guys. They're all big Pittsburgh, suburban Pittsburgh <laughs> yeah. guys, you know, the, yeah. the old school, you know, steel mill kind of kids, you know, and they're sucking on the oxygen. <laughs> and, and, and the offensive line coach comes over and he's yelling at him. What the fuck is wrong with you guys? I can't believe you. And I'll never hear this guy. I'll, I'll, Gary Gorajewski. That was his name. Gary Gorajewski. And he was as Pittsburgh from like, you know, one of these right. towns, you know, famous Pittsburgh towns, North Allegheny, you know, state <laughs> champions. And he looked at me and goes, hey, coach, shut the fuck up. We've been smoking weed, drinking beer all week. We're fucking dying out here. You know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not playing. I'm out. Fuck, man. I'm, it don't mean shit to me. I hated that offensive line, coach. I was glad as hell to hear me. 
Holy shit. I mean, shit, dude. Oh, my God. That is so funny. All right, before you get out of here, explain Sided one more time. How okay. do people like Doing his Joe Tatino. Okay. <laughs> I used to give Joe Tatino the hardest time, like when I first got to 690. you used to? You do it every day. It's the funniest shit ever. I love that you gave that up. As of two days ago, you're still fucking killing him. But, you know, I used to bust on Joe. It's the funniest shit for those of us. Well, anybody knows him. It's exactly how he sounds. Joe's great, man. I love Joe. I, I just can't believe it's been this many years that I've known this guy and worked alongside this I've guy. known him longer than anybody. He and I were interns together with the Sockers, and he would sit at the top, and he was better shit, Scott. He had to be 19. He was better than the guy who would start every broadcast. Good evening, everybody, and a very pleasant good evening, everybody. <laughs> and they had this fucking idiot doing it. And Joe was 19 in the bleachers at the arena. It was fantastic. He's the first guy I know him and... Uh, no shit, Joe. I'm no longer than anybody. Yeah, Love him. The dog's the best. So uh, okay, so to promote, just to give let's one, hear it. One let's la- get okay, it. So, so here goes. Listen, I I don't know about you guys. Every morning I watch Max Kellerman and and Stephen A. Smith. Yep. They put topics on the table, sauce style, and they debate them, and then they say, "For more, go to Facebook. Continue the debate on Facebook." I have my dream, which is that guys like that who have debate talk shows. We'll say, continue the debate on side. Whose side are you going to take? You're going to take Skip's side. You're going to take Shannon's side. You're going to take Max's side. You're going to take Stephen A. Smith's side. You're going to take Dave's side. You're going to take Jeff's side. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You, mm-hmm. you can, you, if you guys on your podcast chose each week to have a debate of the week, Jesus Christ, we'll have seventy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and then what you do is, and here's here's my vision, yep. just in terms of how to use this tool at the beginning, as we're just again building it. I envision it where you guys actually pick the debate topic, whatever it may be, you know, and then you two guys go on to the platform itself and Dave takes one side and Jeff takes the other side. Mm-hmm. And, and then you guys kind of show the audience and then they get to decide, who do I vote for? Do I vote for Dave or do I vote, do I vote for Jeff? You know, and by the way, Dave, I, you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, people get, well, what do I, I want to just watch two people debate? Well, no, then they're at the bottom. This is where you can put in your side comments this is where you can put in your notes. And again, Here's the thing. I honestly don't know if in a year from now, we talk about, you know, a year from now. Right. If in a year from now we get back together, I could tell you this company didn't make it. I could tell you this company is thriving. Mm-hmm. I could tell you that a year ago, hey, remember a year ago we were talking about sports debates and this software that we built? Mm-hmm. Well, now we have applied it to this. We have a guy at the radio station, Dennis Gullius. Yeah. He's a, uh, uh, he, he, this guy works his balls off and he, one of his little side gigs is he teaches political debate at San Diego Mesa College. Shut up. No kidding. He, he, he's using the platform oh, good. in his class right now wow. so that the kids, he's got all these debate topics on there about politics. So I see this as like in 2020 when we get right. ready for the presidential election, you know, I see this as every state, every election, every topic. I think we're going to be talking about this you know, stuff on, on this platform, lots of different verticals, political talk, news talk, um, sports talk, general talk i talked to chris cantori the other day you guys know chris yeah. yeah i said chris i want you to start using side he goes he goes great man he goes you know he goes dude he goes i'm gonna ask people which strain of weed they prefer you know right. or, or which surf spot they prefer i'm like great because he's got an audience you guys have an audience people will engage with the content you give them um they're your followers they're your friends they're your loyalists and ultimately they're gonna love you guys because when they come on this platform debate vote leave a comment whatever as they're building their points Ultimately, 
when somebody gets a, when they've got 10,000 points and they redeem those 10,000 points for a $500 gift card to Nike, I'm making this all up, but sure. you understand, they're going to be like, fucking Dave and Jeff, if it wasn't for those guys, it wouldn't be on that platform. I wouldn't have done all that. I wouldn't have gotten all those points. I wouldn't have gotten all this cool shit. And I'm loyal to those guys. Plus, I've built my status. I'm right. psyched. I'm, I'm considered an authority on Chargers or Rams or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, it's it just, it's, people deserve to be paid for everything they do. And if you're going to like something on Instagram, if you're going to retweet something, if you're going to share something on Facebook, if you're going to comment on something, you're using your valuable time and you're getting jack shit for it. This platform will actually ultimately reward you for your time. And for guys like you, guys like mm -hmm. me, guys in our industry who have audiences and have social media followings, we've got to figure out ways to monetize everything we do. We know what our audiences want to bite on. We'll give them that content. They'll engage in it. And then we have a chance to make, whether it's $5 or $20 or a million dollars, it's more than you're making right. today on Twitter and Instagram. Perfect. Uh, Scott, do me two favors. Number one, give our best to Billy Ray. I will do that. He has been a guy that, like I said, has been very nice to us and uh, and will be nice. And more importantly, give our love to Linda Welby. I will do that she as well. She was uh, great. Incredibly nice to us as Johnny Pratt was in your absence. And we, uh, as you know, we're loyal to you. We're extremely loyal to those two as well. Well, I appreciate you guys saying that. I'm glad you guys had me down here. You're the best. Uh, thank you. I can't believe you guys got me down here on a Sunday night. <laughs> we'll get you a flight. Oh, fuck, you're a UFO. Right. Yeah. Put you I the know. fucking UFO. I cannot believe what I saw here. You'll be home in tonight. a minute. Oh, my goodness. Cap, you the greatest. Dude, no, thank you, guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And we'll, uh, we'll have some fun with Sidey. Yeah, it's we'll going to be, be great. Thank you guys for adopting that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Hey, once again, I want to thank Scott. We decided to let him go, but we got to, we'll knock out these spots and then something else we want to bring up as well. So hang around a little bit. Hey, I want to thank Brian Curry. Of course, the show wouldn't happen with a guy like Brian Curry selling real estate all over San Diego County for the last 20 years. The president's elite award winner, Caldwell Banker. Also, he's the guy that wins all the awards. Brian is your guy to buy that perfect house to get you in a better situation. If you don't like the situation you're in, Brian is your guy, whether you're getting a bigger house, getting a smaller house. You name it, you got to give Brian a call. Also, Brian is your guy for property management. If you need someone to manage your property, call Brian at 619-251-1588. 619-251-1588. Yeah, we're into October, and that's when everything will come to a head for me. And it's, it's kind of exciting, Dave. I mean, I'm glad that everything's fine on the family front. But for my son, he doesn't even know it. I got him the coolest warriors frame print the other day it's a frame print of the warriors holding up a ch the championship yeah and then below it it's replica tickets from each round from the 2017 championship i mean they look like actual game tickets but when i buy it i buy it because i know it's going in his room and the guy who's going to help me find that room for him will be brian curry and i couldn't be more thrilled about it absolutely fantastic also don't forget about you're looking for that perfect fence for that perfect house Daniel Tyler is your guy at Superior Fence Company. Started back in 2005, 13 years in the business. Every job's an easy job for Daniel and his guys. 760-745-4846. 760-745-4846. We'll tell you a lot more about these guys tomorrow. But for me, it, it kind of is like going out and getting an incredible steak dinner and then eating it with the dumbest, uh, it's like putting ketchup on it. Why wouldn't you want and have the complete experience of having a gorgeous fence, man? We have friends that uh, get nervous because their animals get out. And at this time of year, man, your animal gets out. You never know what's out there to, that could be waiting for them. 
uh, kind of in the circle of life. And it's just, man, protect your kids, right? Cars flying by, everybody's texting, doing everything else. Protect your animals and ultimately protect the investment that you made in your home. Dan Tyler's San Diego Superior Fence does it better than anyone. All right. We had, obviously, the greatest thing at the end. When you put everything together, the fence, the house, you need that perfect pool. Tailor-made pool, 619-449-4452. 619-449-4452. Alan Taylor, 20 years in the business. He's the best at what he does. Don't wait and for the last minute. Get that pool taken care of. Get it ready for 2019. As it starts to get cool now, you got to give Alan a call. His guys know what they're doing. Again, 619-449-4452. Well, you got to follow him as well on social media because the one thing I am, I'm a dog guy. I love dogs, and there's nothing funnier to me than when Al posts videos of his 20-man staff and everybody is out there working hard, and I'm going to ask him to do more of those. I love the videos that show the progression of building the pool because I think we can all relate to it. And you like it. It's almost like the time-lapse photography. When it starts with a hole and before you know it, it really is a piece of art. But the funniest thing to me is Al's beautiful big yellow lab sound asleep. Everybody's moving things, heavy equipment. And uh, Alan wrote, supervisor asleep on the job as well. Pup just crashed out, but it's great stuff. But the greatest part of it is the work you're going to get in the 20, 25 years of happiness uh, with a tailor-made pool. So uh, overall, it was, a, it was an interesting, a lot of fun podcast. Podcast I was looking for for a long time. I think we covered everything we wanted to ask Scott. I know there's some things we could have carried that thing on, but two and a half hours is a long podcast. It was fantastic, though, to have him in the garage. Uh, and the only reason I'm bringing this up, and I, and I appreciate anybody who has stayed with us to the end, and I may mention it again tomorrow a little bit earlier on, but the one thing I want to mention is I know a family. The kids are best friends with my kids. It's very, very expensive to live in San Diego. It's a single mom, uh, a couple of kids, and a grandmother. The mom works. She is clean. She is a role model. But they live in an RV. And the problem is that she doesn't make enough money to pay to keep the RV in an RV lot. And one of the challenges that they have found, and I don't know what goes on. I'm, I'm not going to you know, be a blowhard and start talking about PDs. I don't know anything. But it feels like to me, with the homeless situation as bad as it is, if you have a family where she can keep her kids safe in a locked RV, and like I said, she works two jobs, she's a great person, they need a place to be able to put the motor home and all where they stay. Yeah. The kids are great They're I mean, they go over to the house. They help uh, Jack and Kate's mom with the dishes. They do everything. They're great kids, but they have fallen on a situation where they are in this RV and it's clean. They just need a little piece of land where they can put it and they can be safe. And she can have a little bit of peace of mind as a single mom to three really cool kids that, hey, I can go to work tonight and come back and not have to worry about having to pay a ticket that I can't afford. The kids are in the La Mesa School District. That would be best. But I am just saying there is somebody out there that may be able to say, hey, look, we've got a thing on the side. I'm giving you my endorsement. Like I said, there's no drug. There's no alcohol problems. They have the RV. It's paid off. It's clean. They just can't park it on the street for whatever reason. Even though it feels like I drive by 10,000 of them every night on my ride home, apparently you can't do it. 
and and to me it frustrates me with the cost of living in this city but if you or somebody you know has a place where a really nice family that would probably help out and do different things can park this RV and give a really, really nice lady who happens to be a really, really great mom a little bit of peace of mind, uh, just hit me up on social media. Drop me an email at jp.seth at gmail. I'll put you in contact and meet her for a cup of coffee. And if you don't feel comfortable, don't move forward with it. But I think you'll like her as much as we like her. And uh, uh, Jack and Kate's mom was talking to me the other day and was really upset because they don't know what's going to happen and they're, they don't want, you know, you don't you want kids to go into foster care because we can't park an RV on the side of the street. I mean, that to me just seems wrong. It seems wrong. And I said, put a call out on the podcast and maybe somebody has a little plot of land that they said, you know what, come park that thing here, come park it and help out and pick weeds and throw the trash out or negotiate whatever the hell deal you want. But either drop me an email or hit me up on social media, and I'll be thrilled to put you in contact. You'd be doing something nice for a really nice family, and ultimately, at the end, you're the one who's going to win as much as they will. Fantastic. Also, uh, since this podcast has gone a little bit long, we'll save some stuff for tomorrow. We'll tell you about uh, the weekend we had, what we did this weekend. Uh, I got jerked off by Missy Martinez. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't even let it sit for half a second. You never like just yell it out and let it sit. Gabe, and- I'm going to tell you another thing. Yes. I walked a, a two-mile Alzheimer's walk. I met this girl, Missy. She had these silly glasses. And, I, you know, she is a healthy girl. And nice, cute as a button. And now, all of a sudden, I have found out, like I found out about our friend Lisa Ann. Apparently, there are naked pictures of her on the Internet. I don't know who released them, but I will get to the bottom of it. I've started to research these pictures and videos. I'm appalled that somebody would release her personal relationships <laughs> with her babysitter and her pool guy and her school teacher. Here she is. She's tutoring three nice kids yes. from from the inner city. And some son of a bitch has the nerve to run video on this and then post it up on a bunch of different sites. I will not let that go unnoticed. You are the class of San Diego. Look at you. We'll tell you about our weekend tomorrow when we do the next podcast. Also, also I got a, a story of a what would you do? I'll get to remember to ask you the question. What would you do on this one? But uh, again, that was a lot of fun I'm with Scott find Kaplan. You. I'm going to go through all these videos and I'm going to figure out what they have in common. <laughs> all right. We'll see you. We'll see you on the next one. Mm-hmm.